from the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Ward. Welcome back, Eric. Thank you. Got back a few hours ago. I got a new hoodie. Oh, not a hoodie. Not a hoodie. A uh, uh, beanie. A new beanie. A new beanie. Yeah. It's like By the way. You'd stretched out your Knicks one, right? It was. I went to Knicks to buy a new one. Gone. Sold out. Are they going to get more in? Back ordered. Okay. Well, so it's a... he thinks maybe in the winter. They're like not going to get any until the winter. So if you got a Knicks hat. You might want to look at eBay, see what the going rate is. <laughs> you know, but, I, yeah, I got I got two beanies because I know my stupid big head will wear them both out for as much as I wear them with my bald ass freezing head. But look, speak, speaking of vintage IU stuff, which maybe your your beanie would become, uh, I have to mention it real quick because I just saw it on Peaks, the picture of Gabe Cups with Flory Badunga. And and Gabe is wearing the the Hoosiers love the nightlife T-shirt that I wore to the Blue Chips premiere in Bloomington, and and Coach Knight was doing like an interview with Channel Eight or whatever, and I'm sitting there waiting, wearing like uh, again Norm Ellenberger, another shout out to him. I'm wearing that sweater over my Hoosiers love the nightlife life shirt. And what people need to know about that shirt, because you can't see it in the pigs picture, or even unless you're up close looking, is it's this beautiful shot of Assembly Hall. It's a nighttime sky. And if you look closely, the shooting star is actually a chair being thrown through the night oh. sky. So as Coach Knight finishes interview, as soon as he turns away from the reporter... And I'm told by my buddy, Mike North, he sees this at home in Peru. He just sees me come up to coach night and just lift up my sweater. Like, like I'm going to show him my boobs. You're flashing him. Except underneath that is this Hoosiers no, love the nightlife shirt. And as I'm doing it, I remember being like, gosh, coach could be offended by this. And he looks at it. And then he just takes the Sharpie and just signs my shirt with a grin on his face. Did he sign it? Fuck you. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> What's your name, son? Fuck you. Ward. Yeah, I don't care what your fucking name is. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's a good story. Um, so, yeah, a whirlwind weekend. Let's get into it. And as always, we are. Power by. Communitycars.com. Fade out. I got to drive a wonderful Ford Explorer this weekend. Ooh. Courtesy of communitycars.com. And I have some breaking news from Community Cars. I asked the question. And if you live in Hawaii and Alaska, they will ship you the car. No way. <laughs> but if you live internationally, no dice. You're out. You're out. <laughs> There's apparently all kinds of tariffs and federal regulations. He told me a story about another unnamed dealer that shipped. Uh, uh, There's a big market for American trucks in 
other parts of the world because they don't make trucks in other parts of the world like we do. Sure. And so they sent it to like Saudi Arabia and then they turned it into a attack vehicle. <laughs> it literally they put like and so that guy got a call from like the secretary of the the state department of the United States <laughs> like and so Evans like it's not worth it for us to ship internationally. <laughs> so there you go Daryl Daryl yeah you good news buddy what's up that project on international delivery for community cars you don't need to do that anymore then what am i gonna do well pretty much the same thing you've been doing for the last six months fantastic (laughs) daryl what a guy so that's the update there but i gotta tell you uh he not only took care of me but We'll get into this. As you know, this weekend I had two visitors to IU with me, and he took care of them too. And mm. they got to drive around in a community car's car. And I told them, if your son comes to Indiana and you got to buy a car, you obviously have to buy it from community cars. It's just got to spend a little time with Evan, saw his family at the game, his wife and lovely kids. They're just such good people. They are just such good people. This My friends who met Evan, we had breakfast with him, walked away from the meal going, he's just such a nice guy. I'm like, yeah, that's communitycars.com. So <laughs> you got car needs, go to communitycars.com. All right, let's get into the weekend first, and I'll share a couple stories from the weekend that I think you will find uh, humorous that I have okay. not shared in full detail with you yet. Okay. So here's how, let's just set the stage. Oh, wait, before you get into this, I want to make a point of this because maybe, maybe he'll stop listening at a certain point, but Brian Stack was uh, my guest for the IU media school class this last Wednesday night. And for those of you who don't know, Brian Stack is one of the all time great late night comedy writers. He wrote for Conan O'Brien for 15 years. He's with Stephen Colbert now. And oh yeah, by the way, he also pops up on camera all the time as these incredible characters. And I just wanted to give him a special shout out because he did say he actually listens to this part of it where we talk. So I want to get- He's He's the one. (laughs) Thank you, Brian. Uh, But he was incredible just sharing his journey with the kids and you know, coming up, you know, IU to Chicago. He was up in Wisconsin for a bit and he came up with everybody, with Chris Farley, um, you know, with Odenkirk, with with Tina Fey, with everybody. Like Brian is such a legend. And a lot of times the guys who are on camera all the time and they're back there writing, like he's made millions and millions and millions of people laugh virtually every night for decades. And um, and for him to take the time and be so generous to share that with IU undergraduates um, when it's 10 o'clock, when we start the thing out there in New York, um, I just think not only do I want to thank him here publicly, but also just let everybody know what a treasure he is as an Indiana Hoosier. We got to get him on the podcast. Um, well, and that's where this was going, and, and and you know we'd we'd intimated it before, but he confirmed before we wrapped up that class that he would love to join us on the show. So we should do that in short order because, I mean, the stories, the humor, uh, he's he's it's going to be a great time. So that's one for everybody to look forward to. That's awesome. Brian Stack is a great great guy. So. This was not a planned weekend in Bloomington, like one of our weekends that we plan out. This was a little bit impromptu because 
for those of you listening to the podcast and have listened to it for a while, you know my personal situation. I met my wife, Mandy, at Indiana. We fell in love at Indiana. We got married. We had three kids. And then we got divorced. <laughs> a lot of stuff <laughs> happened in between there, but those were the those those are the main bullets. Um, Mandy and I are still extremely close. I love Mandy. Uh, we see each other all the time. We have a very, I think, progressive relationship, I would say. For somebody like me, who is not that progressive on many things, it's a pretty progressive relationship. And uh, Mandy is also very good friends with my current girlfriend and girlfriend of many years now, Holly. They have a podcast together. Mandy has a best friend named Andrea who lives in Los Angeles. Andrea has a son who's a junior at Notre Dame High School out here in Sherman Oaks. And he was looking for colleges, unbeknownst to me. I'm not involved in it at all. And he goes to his mom and he says, hey, mom, I'm looking around. I really want to go to a school out of state. I want to go to a school that has big time athletics where they care about athletics. And I want to go to a school that has a really good business school. Ding, 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 ding. did the research and Indiana popped up. And Andrea said, wow, well, you know, Eric and Mandy met at Indiana and Eric is this big Indiana supporter. Maybe we can ask him for help. No sooner did she ask me that we had planned a weekend where I was going to go accompany them for a weekend in Indiana and show them around. Okay? Incredible. And in, like, you know, for they they asked the perfect guy. <laughs> well, maybe. I hope that's true. The funniest part of the weekend was having to explain to people who the hell were these, who was this very nice woman who is around my age and this kid who looks like he would be my son, you know, like we all look like a family walking around together. And so it took me about a day and a half before I realized how to introduce her so that people didn't think one what would happen often is I would be like taking a picture of them and somebody would come up, hey, Eric, do you want us to take a picture? Or or somebody who didn't know me, do you want us to take a picture of you and the family? I'm like, no, no, I'm good. So everybody <laughs> would just walk away. Who's this asshole father and husband who doesn't want to take a picture with his wife and kid? No, that's not my wife. She's my ex-wife's best friend. Yes, I'm here. My ex-wife is not here. It's all it was all weird in explaining it to people. Yeah, clunky, clunky. It was very clunky. But I will say overall, getting to show them the Indiana that you and I know and love and vicariously live through their eyes, seeing all this for the first time and being just blown away by it. And they were. I mean, they were just absolutely blown away. And everybody who came up to us was so kind in talking to them about Indiana. You know, we walked through the business school, and as you know, they didn't let me walk around the business school when I was in school there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we would run into people who knew Hoosier hysterics, and then they would stop and talk to them. Mm. In fact, we ran into one family, the strangest group of people I've ever run into in Indiana for this reason, four people. Two of them were wearing Michigan gear. Boo. Two of them were wearing Indiana gear. Better. Young guy, young guy wearing Michigan gear is a student at the Kelly School at Indiana. No. Went to Indiana just for Kelly, but still claims to be a Michigan fan. He's only a freshman, so I told him we got some work to do. Yeah. The older gentleman who knew the podcast and was a fan, I said, when did you graduate? And he goes, no, I went to Ball State. Okay, well, <laughs> that's one. And then the older gentleman next to him, when did you go to IU? He goes, no, I didn't go anywhere. 
I'm like, all right. So we ran into four people at the at the Kelly School, none of whom root for Indy or two of whom root for Indiana. No one went to Indiana. The student that goes to Indiana roots for Michigan. I mean, it was so messed up. But <laughs> they all took time to be gracious and generous and talk to Ben about the school. It was amazing. We hit up Lil Zagreb's first mm. night. Mm. I mean, come on, right? I did the strip. I did the strip again. Yeah, I was like, well, well, what did Ben and I'm sorry, what's what's his mom's Andrea, name? Ben Andrea. Andrea. What what did they get? Super fillet for Ben. Good man. Regular fillet for Andrea. Sure. They loved it. Uh, shrimp cocktail. Of course, yeah. it, it was not waiting for me though. It was not waiting for. Was me. Catherine? She took care serve? of us, but she didn't have it waiting. Maybe maybe that's just when I'm there. It could clearly that is the missing ingredient. So did that. It was pretty cold on the first night, walked around a little bit and it was a little rainy too, but then the skies parted and it was the most beautiful weather for the entire weekend. And we walked all over campus. I took them everywhere. We snuck into every building we could lecture halls, you know, Woodburn went to Lilly library, even went to the art museum Ward. Oh, look at you. Yeah, so, Popped so, into the art museum. So cultured. Yeah, really just high end. So uh, ate everything you could imagine. Buffaloes, little Zagreb's. Ward, I ate Buffaloes on Friday afternoon while I was waiting for them and then had a hot fudge Sunday while waiting. I had a hot fudge Sunday at 1.45 p.m., I Who does that? I was waiting for you to say, I had Buffaloes while waiting for them to go to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not far off. I had a hot fudge Sunday, then we went to Zagreb's, and then we went to Baked. See, this is where you're like a professional athlete in a very different way. Just that that you can you and your body can do things and continue to function in ways normal people cannot. Well, sure, for now. <laughs> ultimately the lights are just going to go out i mean that's <laughs> that's what's going to happen way before they should so uh did that walked around saturday um went to yogi's i've never had a meal at yogi's that was really good they've got these uh fried pickle chips that are really good really good didn't you tweet about that yeah it was really good yeah, I was like, wait, where is this coming from? That's not our usual menu, but it no, sounds bread great. Breadsticks, breadsticks with cheese baked into the stick, and the the crust on the breadsticks it was like crispy. It was excellent. So took them around. Let's get to a, a main event story that happened. So on Saturday night, I'm smoking my cigar outside of the graduate, and I'm about to do a video. Here I am, been a good day, and the Michigan bus pulls up. And they start pouring out. And I'm not moving. I'm just watching them all. <laughs> blowing smoke and in their face. I'm blowing smoke. And as one guy, and I don't really know who the player is. It was a tall white guy with curly hair. As he walks by, he gesticulates wildly <laughs> and does that. <laughs> and I just turned while I'm recording the video and I stopped recording. I go, come on. It smells fine. <laughs> and then and then I went back to my video and he kept at it. So then I clicked off the video and I'm like, do, is there a problem? I'm like, I've been here a lot longer than you have. I'm going to smoke my cigar. And he goes, he goes, oh, smoke. And he's still like pretending to cough. And I go, you're such a pussy. <laughs> 
I mean, <laughs> like in my day, they smoked on airplanes. <laughs> and this, we're out in the, just go inside if you don't want the smoke. Just go inside. But as the kids say, he didn't want the smoke. He didn't want this smoke. You ever heard that phrase? Uh, not until just now. Yeah, he didn't want this smoke. So that, <laughs> I got into an altercation. Then Juwan Howard comes out. I'm like, do I say something to Juwan Howard? Of course you do. It's you. Right. What am I going to do? Not say something? So as I'm walking away, I said, hey, uh, hi. <laughs> it was more like this, looking straight up. Hi. I hate you. <laughs> he goes, what? And I go, yeah. I go, I don't necessarily want to hate you, but I viscerally hate you. And he goes, why do you, you don't have to hate me. I go, no, I do. I do have to hate you. But do you remember when you played in Indiana, went three and one against you and your fab five teammates? Do you remember that? <laughs> And his response, I got to be honest with you. It was great. His response, he laughed. I go, he laughed and he goes, all right, all right. He goes, Calbert Cheney's a really good friend of mine. I go, no, I refuse to believe that. <laughs> but he talked glowingly about Calbert and how they're friends. And he's so happy for Calbert doing well with the Pacers. Uh, he was super cool. I, I can't. I mean, he was cool. He was not a dick in any way. He was and you, totally. And, and you were. So and he, I was had, a total dick. he had every and I was right a total to be. Dick. I mean, Ward, I had a little twinkle, you know, a little uh, charm. That's little... how you get away with it. That's how you right. don't get slapped by Jawan. <laughs> no shame. And we know he likes to slap. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you were you were walking into a dangerous territory. Good basketball player. Has been successful so far as a coach and loves slapping white guys. So those are the three things we know about <laughs> Jawad Howard. So in that group also was legend IU basketball manager and president of the Los Angeles Clippers, Lawrence Frank, was oh, in town. This, this is where the pangs of jealousy really kick in. I did get to talk to Lawrence, and we hung out a little bit and chatted all about basketball, and he was so happy to be back. He... He, uh, I introduced him to Ben and Andrea, and he gives Ben the pitch. Ben's like, yeah, I'm considering these other schools. He goes, what do you mean you're considering other schools? In that great <laughs> Lawrence, like, yelling, funny way, you know? <laughs> so good. Um, but talked to him a little bit. He was so happy to be there scouting Jalen, scouting Trey, scouting a couple guys from Michigan. Um, but he was excited to be there. He spoke at the business school, giving back to Indiana. Oh, you know? no kidding. Good for yeah, him. Yeah, he spoke on Friday. But just he's such a cool guy. And I do want to say, if you are coming to our podcast late and you have not heard the Lawrence Frank podcast, load up your favorite podcast player and go back and search for Hoosier Hysterics, Lawrence Frank. You will not be disappointed. One of the best conversations we've ever had. A must um, listen. Must. Must listen. So that was a, a fun little altercation. Ate at farm Saturday night. Hung out at Nick's. Then Sunday... I don't think I've ever walked more at Indiana. Whoa, we that's walked, saying something. I know, dude. We walked basically to Foster Dorm. I showed them all around the Arb and the Union and then walked all the way back and then walked back to Armstrong Stadium because I wanted to show them where Little Five was done. Oh, wow. And then walked to Assembly Hall and then walked back. I mean, it was it was a remarkably fun, and I'm telling you, a different, fresh perspective on Indiana and how great it is by seeing it through the eyes of people who had never been there before. 
um, and had no connection to Indiana at all. And they were blown away by it. Absolutely blown away. Shout out to our friend Schmeck at the business school, who also Schmeck. took some time to meet with, with Ben and Andrea on Monday morning to talk to them about the business school. Uh, shout out to the entire IU athletic, uh, especially the basketball program, the men's basketball program. Obviously, the women were out of town, but the men's basketball program really took care of them. And I showed them around Cook Hall and stuff. And and anybody who came up really spent time to talk to them. He's convinced he wants to be a manager. You ben, know? Wow. Yeah, oh, does. well, look, I mean, he might have just stumbled into the world's ultimate mentor. Uh, well, well, you will see. I know. I know. I, I It was unbelievable. And then he met. So he met Lawrence. He met Adam Howard. Oh. He met Grayson Medina. Like he met all these guys. Um, we're not going to talk about the game right now. We'll get to that in a second. I will say this, though. We did at Yogi's. We did watch the women's game. So mm. we can talk about that. That was we talked about this last week, Ward, that they have arrived. Right. They are a legitimate top program in the country and with that comes crit criticism they were awful in that second half mm. it was a total meltdown and i was so angry watching it it was like we, everybody on the pro in the program seemed shell-shocked they could not inbound the basketball yeah. and we blew a 24 point lead the biggest lead ever blown in the big 10 tournament mm. against a team that we were owning and it was bad. It was real, real bad. How did you compose yourself in mixed company? You know what? It's, it's easier, truthfully. It's yeah, easier because. No. But everybody at Yogi's was pissed. I mean, everybody sure. was like, "I can't believe this is happening." But then I watched the press conference after the game. Did you watch that at all? Did you get a chance to check that out? No, I was filming all day on Saturday. Oh, that's right. It's one of those ones where it was like, "Oh, uh, okay." I'm actually glad. Yeah, I didn't. Because I, I see the flurry of angry, disappointed texts, and it was like uh, to to watch 24 points go away, I think, could have ruined several days of my life. And the first half was so good. But I will say the press conference, Terry was pissed. You could tell. And then only Grace came up to talk. And you could tell the second she got there, she was on a razor's edge. And the first question came, and it took everything in her to not break down because this team has goals and the goals are very simple. They were a big 10 championship check. It was a big 10 tournament championship, unable to make that one happen. And it's an NCAA, a final four in an NCAA title. And I think grace who's a senior and this is her last year knows that like they let one slip away and it crushed her. And like all of my anger about that game went away. Mm. And I tweeted about this. All we want as fans, clearly we want to win. But if we're not going to win, we want to know that the players and coaches care more about it than we do. And that's a high bar because we care greatly. Oh, I, and I know what you're leading up to later. This, this is going to set up for something later. It is? Well... It could. We'll okay. see. Keep going. We'll get back to that. And, oh, yeah, you're right. And seeing Grace and just knowing how much it hurt her and how much she felt disappointed, like she had let people down and let her teammates down, and 
it, it washed away all my anger. And I was like, this is the program that I want to support. I mean, I, I I'm hundred percent behind them. I hope they use it as motivation to be like, we don't want to feel like that again. Yeah. Going into the tournament. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was very real for me to say that dagger loss at Iowa. Oh, well, this is, this is a little chip on the shoulder they need after just dominating the regular season. You know, this is two losses in a row. No, like, two out of three. Two, two out, out of three. three. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, oh, okay. You know, what's – look, we're used to losing two out of three games with the men's program over over the last six, seven years. But for, for these ladies to do this, I'm just kind of like, uh, I, I know they can still make a very deep run. I know they can still win it all. I know that's that team. But losing two out of three games kind of freaked me out. For sure. And I think it's freaked them out. And now the nice thing is they've got several days where they can sulk for a day and then get back at it and practice and then wait for selection Sunday, you know, and, and the women's tournament ended a week before selection Sunday. So it's just practice and get back to the grind and hopefully build back your confidence and get angry and get yeah. real angry and then hit the ground running when the tournament starts. And we're still likely to get a number one seed, I think, and we're going to host the first two games. So you're playing at home. Hopefully you get your mojo back. So um, that, uh, you know, there was a lot of other great stuff that just happened with Ben and, and Andrea, and I had such a good time with them. I did gain 27 pounds, I'm sure. I can't oh. weigh myself. I can't weigh myself. <laughs> I will tell you this. But it's like, it's just know that it's really exceptional that you probably walked 25,000 steps and yes, still did, I did. that. Yeah, and still gained. Ward, <laughs> when I, I brought one pair of jeans, that's all I brought. They fit great when I got to Bloomington. And on the last day of Bloomington, I had a long jacket. And I unbuttoned the jeans. <laughs> Had to have the fly open because couldn't fit in them. Couldn't fit in them. That's where I'm at. Belt didn't fit. Couldn't put the belt on. <laughs> so not a great weekend for my health, um, but a really fun weekend in Bloomington. But before we move on to the Hoosier Hoopla segment, uh huh. why don't you tell people the big things you did this weekend. One in particular that I am just dying to know about. I was wondering if you were going to let me talk about it or even mention it. Of course <laughs> I'm going to mention it. So look, uh, doing one of the great things uh, I'm passionate about, a project we've been working on a long time, about a Hoosier legend, uh, Cole Porter, a music documentary and album uh, we're, we're in production on, and we recorded our second song, True Love, with Omar Velasco, uh, an artist you maybe haven't heard of yet, but he's got a new album coming out. It's all trending in the right direction. Just an incredible rendition of one of the most beautiful songs ever written um, with a four-string quartet amazing we shoot over from that session and we go to the lodge room in highland park where pokey lafarge uh my all-time favorite who recorded our first song blow gabriel blow plays to a sold out house uh and we are filming his encore where he comes out on stage and performs blow gabriel blow his cole porter song for us live in front of a sold out crowd so it was all thrilling wonderful but then that's of course all building up to sunday where myself and my son, because I couldn't talk the ladies into it, head over to Pasadena. By the way, 
no ladies could be talked into this. Oh no, there were ladies there. There were there were a lot more ladies than you would have thought. Yes, but... you're right. <laughs> um, because look, it was the hottest ticket in Pasadena was Alien Con. Yes, that's right. You've heard of Comic Con. You've heard of other cons. Maybe you haven't heard of Alien Con. No, uh, but those. Haven't. Who are obsessed with UAP UFO like myself were in attendance. People flew in from from different parts of the world for this. Maybe flew in from different you know galaxies. Who other knows? Di other dimensions, perhaps. Quick other, stopover. Yeah. Other times, but look, it was um, one of these, Ward. One of these. That's right. Right through the wormhole. You've yeah. you know you're Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look, it. It, I have like, you know, there's these people I love uh, uh, with Indiana University sports, uh, with with music, with film. But because I've gone down this rabbit hole the last couple of years, there are like bonafide rock stars in the UFO world. And like quite a few of them were in attendance. But unlike Comic-Con or other, you know, something where there's like 500,000 people there, like these people are like in the hot dog line with you. <laughs> so I can be like, hey, man, big fan but, of your work. Walk me through, like, do people have booths at, at AlienCon? Yes. And who, is it like entertainment people? Like people that are, did Proxima B have a booth at AlienCon? We're thinking about it for next year because that's our, our target audience right there. For sure. Um, But no, you, like some of the bigger stars from like, um ancient aliens or from skinwalker ranch that series because a and e had a very big presence there um you, those you'd have to wait in line and purchase your your vouchers in advance to get pictures and autographs other ones you know you could go to their booth where they have t-shirts or their books or whatever's going on um and so you know you, you stand in line not terribly long lines if you, <laughs> if you want to mix it up with those guys but look i brought porter there because he wants to be a cryptozoologist the study of cryptids bigfoot loch ness that kind of stuff he's eight years old maybe that doesn't stick but you want to encourage their interest so they have like a world famous cryptozoologist there along with a couple other people a navajo ranger who's like studied different phenomenon on the Navajo reservation for years. And they talk about these creatures that have been part of myth and legend for forever. Um, and so, you know, and he gets to ask a cryptozoologist what he should study in school and that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's, it's good to encourage that passion. He wants to walk around and like see what kind of alien swag he wants to buy. Um, but then he has to sit there with me for back to back hour, one hour seminars. Oh my God. Of talking about UAPs and all this shit. Yes. yes. Good <laughs> Christ, man. That is torture. <laughs> By the way, I got my own alien con on the way from Bloomington to Muncie when you and I were there because you gave me the history of all this stuff in that ride. But that is the most you've you've been willing to talk with me about it. And it's because and we got talk with you is a weird phrase. Oh no, no. That was a conversation we had because all these things end up being like bigger than just something flying in the sky. It's about consciousness. It's it's about the true nature of our reality, right? Here we go. Here yeah, we go. We're going down the rabbit hole. If it's just something flying in the sky, I mean, look, that's fascinating too. But there's just, there's so much science. There's so much we don't know about 
the universe, our world, any of that stuff. And that's that's why it's a gift that keeps on giving. And I will tell you this, young Porter, bless him, was there for the cryptids, stayed for the UFOs. He, well, he didn't a have great, a choice. He did not have a choice. But had a great time. He had a, okay. We had a great time. So, of course, it's always difficult not to be in Bloomington with you. But between getting to do this music stuff I love and have this quality time with a young man uh, and a bunch of weirdos in Pasadena, it was yeah, a good what, weekend. What would you say the demo is, the, tar- the demo of... I kept trying to assess it and it it was it was difficult. It's not nobody was extreme there like at Comic-Con. Few people were dressed up and you've got some kind of maybe sort of rockabilly guys with tats and and you know cool haircuts. You've got old people, you have like, you know, uh Porter was the only eight-year-old there, I'll tell you that. You had some, like, attractive couples who were there that I'm like, oh, if Annie, Annie could have been badgered into this, uh, you know, like, the, she would see that I'm... I, I didn't know where you were going with that. I, I was like, if Annie was there, what? You could, like, introduce her to some swinging alien couples? <laughs> no, no. Well, look, I... Annie is very attractive. I am not. We balance each other out. But I'm that's just saying. Not true. That's I'm not just true. You're saying an attractive not, man. Not. That's why I got caught up. I was like, I hope people don't think that I think I'm attractive because I definitely don't. Like, I have to look at this nose every day. But the point is that there were definitely other people there who were just like normal and probably in the last year or two are like, what the hell is going on? And and so they so went to it, Alien Con to suss it, it out. It wasn't nearly as many weirdos as I thought. Would you say if you were doing a pie chart mm-hmm. and I just told you I want you to do um slices of the pie based on ethnicity? More, would you say that it's mostly white? Definitely, definitely, but not like exclusively. 95%? No, no, 85% pretty white it's a pretty white aliens are a pretty white thing uh okay all right yeah i mean white, I'm, white people love aliens uh, look eric i wasn't looking at race as much as i, I was know just well, you're looking, into aliens like you you're beyond like the, what's what's the style what like you know like there was one dog dressed up as a reptilian which i really appreciated uh, is that, it would you say it's mostly white men between the ages of 40 and 50 uh, I mean, was that the most represented group? Yes, but I would say it was forty percent women. Really? Yeah, which did surprise. Those me. are some good women that are just dragged to this thing. I mean, Annie they were asking, is smarter. They were asking questions in the panel. Hey, look, Annie's on board. Uh, she's heard enough from Annie's me. on board. Yeah, I mean, look, she has to be Ward. I mean, let's th- be honest. She lives with you. She where, has to be. No, no, no. She. She she never says anything about my piano playing. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, but that's not existential. Th- this stuff is so core to you. You care. She's a good woman. She's on board because you're on board. Uh, I mean, you could make the argument I've brainwashed her, but also it's like, look, you can be entitled to your, you can be entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts. Okay, we're dealing oh, with we, a lot of doing facts. This. We're not doing this. All right. <laughs> All right, so Ward got Alien Con and some good production. I got a heavy dose of Bloomington and 27 pounds extra of B-Town food. And now let's talk about basketball before we get to our interview subject today. That means you want me to go ahead and set you up and tell everybody that we are... Rock to you! Bye! 
IU Ventures presents a segment without pretense. Who's your hoop live just for you? I, I had a slight peg of fear you were going to start stretching it out like the siren call. <laughs> I, it, it got almost got there. <laughs> like, yeah. Almost got there. Here we are, Hoosier Hoopla segment to talk about Indiana basketball. I will say this exciting news. I met our good friend Jonathan at IU Ventures this weekend. Got to meet him face to face. You and I have done several Zooms with him, but got to talk to him about it. I was a little nervous because we don't know. Do you like the theme song? Do you like how ridiculous we are? So it's a weird thing because you never know how it's going to go. Luckily, he's still on board. Excellent. And he shared an unbelievable new story with us. He shared the story with us about a company called Joe and Bella. This is a company that is dedicated to fixing basically the apparel issues for older people. You get older, arthritis, it's harder to kneel down, it's harder to get dressed. It's, you know, we all have parents or grandparents that deal with, with health issues and your body just doesn't work the same way. And this IU grad, Jimmy Zolo, decided that he's going to fix it. And so he has started this brand, Joe and Bella, to be this revolutionary apparel company for older adults. They add, um, they've offered innovative functionality and premium fashion that enable easier, faster, and safer dressing for individuals living with age-related physical and cognitive changes. Things like Parkinson's, dementia. I mean, look, Holly's father, uh, God rest his soul, he uh, passed away. The last several years of his life was dementia. And clothes... And getting in and out of clothes, and he was in a facility, and how they were able to help him, it was really difficult because mm -hmm. of the clothes. And the idea that this guy, this IU dude, is like, no, I'm going to help these people. I'm going to create a company that's going to basically create the market for this. Nobody's been doing it. I just think it's such an amazing thing to do, help provide some dignity to our elders that that don't deserve what they're going through. And I love it. You Sorry. know, just to, to keep them as independent as possible. And and look, when Jonathan sent this along and I didn't know anything about the company, you just saw it come in after this weekend. And and it just makes you want to tear up because, it, it you know, we look, this is a part of our show and they've been great partners with us. And I'm glad to hear they maybe want to continue to be for the foreseeable future. But when you drill down into it, it's just looking at um, Hoosiers making the world a better place. What is the Kurt Vonnegut quote, Ward? Everywhere I go, there always seems to be Hoosiers there doing something important. And there you go. And Jimmy Zolo, I hope that's how you pronounce his name, Zolo or Zolo, who's created Joe and Bella, is doing that. And the reason that we're talking about this company is because this is a company that many angel investors that are part of IU Ventures invested in. And because of the angel investment into that, they have allowed this company to expand and build out their manufacturing and design. They've brought on Lululemon designers are part of the, 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 the creative brain trust that are creating the products here, all because of IU angel investors that are part of the IU Ventures company and, and or organization. And Jonathan said something to me that I really liked. When we always talk about IU Ventures is all about IU students, alumni, faculty, and staff that are have created or are part of the company. What he said to me is, we invest in companies that have IU DNA. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. That Everything is great. that they do, it's all about IU DNA. You can find out more by going to iuventures.com. Please sign up for the newsletter. 
please just show a little bit of interest here. I promise you, you're not wasting your time. If nothing else, it's going to fill you with pride, the stuff that's going on at Indiana University that you, because you're a Hoosier, are connected to in some way. IUVentures.com. Quick pitch for you for IUVentures.com. Oh, this is going to be terrible. Look, walking around AlienCon, I noticed there's a bunch of crystals. A bunch of these booths have nothing to do with alien or UFO swag. And I was like, there is a real hole in the market here. There is a real white space. We need to really start developing some great alien and UFO swag. I think we could clean up. Are you talking about just generic alien swag or Hoosier alien swag both i mean any kind you want we could we could make it niche we could have a whole line of like iu alien ufo swag but i'm thinking bigger right like we the publicly traded companies is where we want to go with our iu ventures let's set up a a a pitch meeting where we pitch iu ventures (laughs) and watch them laugh at us and ridicule us and tell us there is no way that they will give us one crimson cent. <laughs> and then and then we post it, we'll post it exclusively on pigs.com so people can see my humiliation on video. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Ward, this was as wild and emotional and confusing of a week for IU basketball as I remember. I, I'm because I'm starting it with the Iowa game. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. We had high hopes going into that Iowa game. Why? Because we had just beaten Purdue at Purdue. We swept them for the first time in forever, in a decade. It felt so good. Jalen Huchafina was playing at a pro level. Trace came on in the second half. We were moving up the ranks in the Big Ten. It felt like, oh my God, we're going to finish this year 13 and seven, which after starting one and four felt decent. And then that Iowa game happened. And I just being honest, I don't think I've ever been as angry watching a performance uh, of Indiana basketball. It was uh, abysmal, a home game where we just did not compete ever in the game. We, We were outclassed almost from tip to buzzer. It's inexplicable. It's it's one part of the maddening aspect of it is w- w- what what the hell? Like like who do you blame? Oh well, you blame everybody. You blame every single person involved with that in any way, shape, or form. Like I I look, we've had plenty of games where like oh we stole one from Michigan State and then we lay an egg, you know, the next game in the previous regime, you know, and. But for this, where it's like there's so much at stake when you start talking about tournament seeding, not only in the Big Ten, but of course in March, and you talk about momentum and wanting to hit on all cylinders as you're getting into the postseason, and, you know, tough loss at Michigan State, but then to, to, you know, bounce back. I, I mean, to your point, you were talking about the last week, but it's like, Michigan State, Northwestern, Purdue, and then like Iowa. It's like, oh my God, like what I thought, I thought that was all like behind us, the not knowing what this team is. We won eight of nine, and then whatever it was was like, you know, 10 of 12 or something. And and it just seemed like, okay, we're we're maybe not a top five or top 10 team in the country, but we've solidly found out who we are. 
without Xavier Johnson, you know, and everybody's settled into their roles and maybe not everybody's going to contribute everybody every night, but, but somebody is. And when we go home, we, you know, we still, despite the Iowa loss uh, are tied for what the, the best record in the big 10 at home. So just how could we see sitting at 13 and one or 12 and one, whatever it was that a team that we were up on by 17 in their arena and then blew it, you know, no, like, we were up by 21. Were we in were that we, first or was half? That the Iowa? Iowa, was that the Northwestern game? Uh, Iowa, for some reason, 17 sticks. No, in I think head. it was 20, but uh, whatever, whatever it was too much. So, so like even there, it wasn't like, oh, we just can't like compete with those guys. No, we were kicking their ass on the road and then we fell asleep at the wheel, but not this time. We're still pissed about that. We just beat Purdue. We're going to thump these guys. No siree. As humiliating, I'd say more humiliating than the Penn State loss. Uh, yeah, I agree. And then what you were alluding to before, uh, when I talked about wanting to know that the players care as much, if not more. Look, I did not like at the end of that game down by 23 points at home in a game that meant so much. The camera finds Race Thompson and Trace Jackson Davis, and they're laughing. They are laughing. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what they're laughing at. I, I could be totally off on maybe they were laughing at themselves. I don't know. But it wasn't good optics. And it it crushed me to see that. Like, I just was disappointed to see that. I couldn't understand how if we're feeling this way as fans, how could you possibly be on the bench in that game after that performance laughing? It really bothered me. And it made me question just what are we? I mean, you talked a lot about the inconsistency, right? We thought we found ourselves winning five in a row. Then we lose. Then, And then some weird performances at home. We didn't look good against Rutgers at home when we really thought we were going to blitz them, you know, uh, the Michigan game, or I'm sorry, the um, the Michigan State game, we lose by 15. We've lost 10 games this year, and seven of them are by more than 10 points. When this year started, we didn't think we would get blitzed by anybody. And we've gotten blitzed by Iowa and Arizona and Kansas and Michigan State and Rutgers and Penn State. And, and yet we've won two games against Purdue, and we won two games against Illinois, and we won two games against Michigan now. It just made me go, I don't know what we are. Still, this yeah. many games in, you don't know what to expect. And so that, I think, really hurt the psyche of everybody. And and you could hear Woody talking about it. Woody said he wasn't sure how they were going to react after that Iowa game. He really wasn't. Yeah, like, well, and I appreciated, like, Woody apologizing to the fans that I came out to that game. Because, you know, heaven forbid we'd been there. Of course, we would have been blamed, too. But just, like, you know, people spend a lot of money and travel from far places. And you you can't expect the team to win every time. Uh, you take your lumps there. But you expect the team to come out and compete every time. And, and, and with this team, with this experience, with this talent, there's no excuse to ever not be in the game till the final moments at home no sir not against any team i totally agree and there's definitely no excuse to be laughing about it i mean there's just not i think about that family that drove from you know evansville and and this was the one game they were coming to this game and then they have to go see that it, it just wasn't right it wasn't acceptable and then it also put this black cloud over what should be an 
absolute celebration of the seniors that are on this team, both the managers and the players, because senior day is left against Michigan. There's so much at stake in that game. A lot had to break right for us. And basically everything did, which is rare. I mean, let's just be honest. A lot of where we are in the big 10 is because the big 10 just sucks this year. It just sucks. No one is good. No one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you, you know, but, there is ultimately still a pecking order in that. And, you know, and I think about this team, the expectations uh, at the beginning of the year, which, you know, uh, I, beating Purdue twice to to my mind means, yeah, yeah, we probably should have won the Big Ten. And yes, we played all, you know, all the worst teams five times and Purdue played all the worst teams nine times, you know, Northwestern played those teams seven times. So we had of the top three teams, we had the hardest schedule. Um, but you know, yeah. we, but it wasn't we, even, I mean, Lord, look, we, and, we and, look, and look by Penn state, we lost to Northwestern but, twice, it's, but you know, you could also, and I'm not making excuses. I'm trying to be realistic in terms of, losing x right it's a big deal and jalen is an incredible talent and has had some incredible performances has been remarkably consistent running our offense and being a defender for a freshman that's why he won't be here much longer you know but i guess i thought i'll give you a pass that we hit the skids for three games because we lost our floor general who'd really found his way at the end of last season. And we saw the results of that when he's, he's scoring 18 a game uh, at the end of last season. And and when he goes down this year, he's leading the team in assists with five per game. We know what he can do on defense. We know how he can turn the corner on offense. Okay. So we lost three games, but then we rip off like eight of nine and we're rolling now. And yeah, it's disappointing. Now we're not going to get him back. We were certainly hoping for that, but but then to like lose our identity, at least in some games, uh, after it seemed like we found it, that's what's confounding and frustrating. I couldn't agree more. And now you come to the Michigan game where we got to win. We got to win to get the double bye. We got to win to continue to stay on that like four seed, maybe even move up to a three if we make some do some real damage in the Big Ten tournament. And uh And the game starts, I don't know what it felt like on TV. I can tell you what it felt like in the building. It just felt uneasy, even Mm. at the beginning of the game. Even when we went up 10, there was no flow. We weren't scoring a lot of points. Yes, we were up 10, but you knew Michigan wasn't going to score 30 in the game. Like they were, we weren't hitting threes. We weren't getting on a roll at all. They were missing a lot of shots. It just didn't feel great. And we only had... 29 points or something like that come the end of the first half and then Michigan got hot a little bit and boom the lead's gone and everybody in the in assembly hall I think felt like oh my god it's it's Iowa again Mm. they're getting layups they're getting open threes and the way that second half started was was just depressing it was like, how is this possible how are we not coming out harder and faster and they're just it never seemed great I did not think we would get beat by 10. I didn't think they were going to be in control. I thought we would make a run. I really did because they weren't that good. Right. Yes, they got hot. Yes, they absolutely got hot. And they do have talent. And when the talent starts feeling confident, it's scary. And that's what happened. And they went on that huge run, like 15-0 run. And they took a 10-point lead, 12-point lead. And then the same thing that happened against Illinois when you and I were there, Ward. We just battled. 
The defense stepped up. All of a sudden, their shots that were going weren't going. Did we get the benefit of a call here or there? I do think we did. I mean, that play, Trace committed two offensive fouls on the same play, and instead of calling one of them, they called a foul on them, and it was an and one. I mean, that was crazy. They're just bodies laying on the ground, and Trace <laughs> is looking at them. Like, what happened? Um, really, I was so happy for a couple things, though. First of all, Trace was awesome. I mean, yeah. the, the moves that he put on Hunter Dickinson in the second half were incredible. And it was it was kind of a great chess match between them at times, like them knowing each other so well and and countering and counter-countering. Uh, right. It was, you know, those two guys have been really good in this league for a long time, and they've gotten the best of each other. Uh, I don't know what the final tally is, but obviously we all wanted this one to end in Trace's favor. And it was so great. So Trace scores 27 points, gets nine boards. Race Thompson has his best game of the year in a game that matters, you know, I, I, despite the four you, missed free throws. Yeah, which was excruciating. I couldn't believe it because he was so clearly being like, uh-uh, no, sir, no way. This is not happening getting after those steals, making those plays, scoring those points. Yes. That that he it was his it was easily his best game of the year despite the four missed free throws. I know. And, like he should have had 18 20 points and 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 iced the game away, but his steals were huge. I mean, his steals yeah. did ice the game ultimately. And then I was just so happy that Miller hit the big shots that yeah. he hit in the yep. second half. Because clearly, Miller, we know Miller is amped up for every game. And Woody said it too. You know that that's a kid who shows up and plays his ass off every single game. And the shots just weren't falling. Maybe he had too much adrenaline at the beginning of that game. Yeah. Once. Big shots that he hit. And Scoop finally came through and hit a couple shots. Miss some too. Yeah. But well and, and and just to go back to Miller for a second, there was a guy generally if if he was on Jet Howard, he, he didn't have the foot speed to keep up with him. Right. You know what I mean? A lot of those perimeter guys on Michigan, it was like he was working his ass off, but like at a certain point you you have limitations. And for him to have all that frustration on both ends early on, but then to just you know, for the for the old guys to do it when it counted, that's what a senior night victory should be. And and you could you could feel it coming. You could feel it coming. I, what did what did it feel like in the building when Trace launched that half quarter at the end of regulation? I think I said it to you on text. I I don't remember ever having a physiological experience like those like four seconds. <laughs> Because the ball goes up. And and by the way, I think everybody that's a fan of Indiana knows they practice these half-court shots all the time. Yeah. Maybe too much, yeah. you know? Uh -huh. And so when he got it and launched it, it was like slow motion. And I thought it was going in. Everybody <laughs> thought it was going in. I don't know why you think a half-court heave. It hit the backboard, and I was like, I had time to process it's going to hit the backboard and go in. And when it didn't, I melted. I I literally, <laughs> like my body, I was sweating. I Everything was on fire. I am grabbing poor Ben, who's never watched an Indiana game in his life. And I am, I have him in a full rear naked chokehold, like <laughs> full. So everybody had this collective, oh my God, what did we almost witness? Yeah. What did we almost see? Um, 
but it was weird, Ward. It got loud, but it never got as loud as what you think it would for a sold-out senior day game because I think there is so much stress right now with this team based on the Iowa game, based on some of our other experiences, that we can't just freaking let go right now. It's it's tense. But winning that game and the way we won it with Michigan just throwing it to Hunter Dickinson's <laughs> ass. I mean, let's let's thank Michigan because as hard as we tried to lose the game with missed free throws, they tried a little harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, God, God bless them uh, when that went down. By the way, you know what? I think one thing is we we lost – when Hunter Dickinson you, – did you see him coming off the bus? Was yes. He, was he wearing his earrings? I don't remember. Because every time they'd cut to his, like his stat photo, he's wearing these ridiculous earrings. Yeah, I'm I don't like, remember the earrings. We cannot lose to him on we senior night. And when he him. like nailed that three pointer late in the game, I'm like, no, we can. Trace cannot lose his last home game to Hunter. Um, but it was, you know, watching it at home, it was, it was like split personality. This team, and we've seen the the tale of two teams and two halves so many times this season is like well how bad's the good half and how's good how good is the good half and is it going to be enough to yeah to is the good steal? a little bit better than the bad <laughs> yeah, was bad yeah. and i will tell you a frustrating thing i was sitting behind the bench several rows so you have a pretty good sense of like woody calling plays to say that our offense is limited is uh, an insult to the word limited. Mm. Every play was Woody yelling at Caleb or Miller or whoever to get on the near side of the court to the bench, clear out, put Trace on that right block, Jalen feed it to him, and that was it. That was it. I don't. I want to go back and watch and see how many possessions in a row it was. It had to have been 10. There is no real offense outside of just give it to Trace and hope that he – and Trace was gassed at the end of that game. Mm. Totally gassed. He made a great pass to Miller for Miller oh, to hit that shot. Yeah. Phenomenal. But you could tell, like, Trace needed to make that pass. He didn't have the gas at that point. Mm. So much is on his shoulders. I do hope moving forward, like next season, when you don't have that guy, that we have an offense that is more free-flowing because – if you hope that Malik can just do what Trace does, that's not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. So, but Trace performed, the game ended, and then it was senior day speeches. And I got to say, that was emotional. It sure. was really cool. Seeing the managers walk out with their families, managers that you and I have gotten to know a little bit, managers that take care of us when we're there, that take care of a lot of people and take care of that team. And they get no glory and they, you know, they don't get NIL deals and they don't get adulation from people on campus and they're not going to the pros. They bust their ass and seeing like Grayson Medina, who we've gotten to know for several years, is such a good guy and cares so deeply about Indiana. He's going to be a guest on the podcast the second this season ends. Yes. So we're going to get here. But seeing that and then seeing the players walk out with their families and listening to them talk about their families and hearing those guys get choked up. You know, Race couldn't look at his family. Miller couldn't look at his mom. Trace got choked up looking at Ray, his dad, and and looking at his mom. And sister was there. And then hearing them thank the fans, it was just special. I, I don't think I've been to a senior day since I was there. Mm -hmm. 
And so it was pretty special to be there for that group, especially what trace has done for Indiana in four years is absolutely remarkable and it's not over yet. And, and the, the sad truth is a lot of his legacy is going to depend on these next few weeks. You know, he's cemented statistical legacy. I get it. Yeah. And he will go down as an all time great. Yeah. No doubt. But there is nothing that would compare to if we won the Big Ten tournament and then made a deep run in the NCAA tournament compared to not doing those things. It it has the ability to elevate his legacy and, and this group, race included, Miller included, in a way that nothing else can because Indiana is about winning. Trace said it. We're going to go get one of those banners and then we're going to go get one of these. Yeah. Like, that's look- what it's about. It is. That is what it's about. Um, And no program, no team is entitled to being good. They have to put in the work. And there is no doubt that Trace Jackson Davis, Race Miller, Miller Cop, Race Miller, Race Race and Miller, Miller, or Race Thompson and Miller Cop. What about Race Cop and Miller Thompson? uh, Miller Thompson has been a real disappointment. (laughs) Um. They're leaving the program uh, better than they found it. Full stop. Fair enough. You know, this this is a team that has been uh, ranked almost all season. You know, this is a team that finished third in the Big Ten. Without, though, as of yesterday, it could have ended up being ninth, you know. But, but look, tough schedule, injuries, like they've, they've had to battle through these things. But just to, to take it back to Trace in particular, who is, you know, maybe going to be the last great statistical freak in in our program's history i could see other guys getting up there with with assists you know i think if you're scoring that many points you're probably going to the pros earlier than he is but then you add in the rebounds and even the you know the 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 way the the blocks and the way the assists have skyrocketed this year you know you're talking about a guy this year who is one of the absolute most complete players in in the history of the program as far as a, a uh, as, a far stat, statistics, yeah. as far as a stat stuffer goes, you talk about his consistency as a rebounder, a blocker, and a scorer for four years. He's absolutely one of the all-time greats. And look, nobody's going to argue that George McGinnis isn't one of the absolute greatest to ever play at IU, but he wasn't there at a great time. And that's why he didn't stick around that long. Hey, and, 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 and Ward, I, I would also say, look, A.J. Guyton. AJ Guyton's one of the most prolific scorers in the history of Indiana University. And, his, and he went to the tournament four times. And his teammate Michael Lewis left as the all-time assist leader. But look, things were 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 going downhill for Coach Knight. They pretty much steadily went downhill from, you know, the the time Calbert's class left yeah. until the time, you know, he and we left all together. And and but I I just don't think it's fair to look at Trace and his unbelievable stats and be like, yeah, but he wasn't that great because they didn't win much because I don't think it's his fault. I don't, I, I don't want to, and look, we can have the legacy conversation after the season is over. It's not his fault. He has maxed out. I think it's easy. It's fair to say he's maxed out what he could do, but history is written by the winners and when you're at Indiana, the banners and the titles matter. And I, he deserves, I shouldn't say he deserves, he needs to earn being able to put a banner and a title with his name because of his greatness statistically. So I'm rooting like hell for that for him. 
And I know you have to go soon. I do. I do want to say this, though. It's interesting because it does lead into an interesting, fascinating, entertaining conversation that we had with our guest today, who is another guy who statistically, when you look at his stats in only three years at Indiana, are really impressive. Yeah. Really impressive. Incredible scorer. Much better rebounder and assist man than anybody would give him credit for. But when you dig into the numbers, it's impressive. And yet, as we've learned so many times with this podcast, the story that we thought we knew is not always in line with the reality and what was going on behind the box score. And I can't think of a better person to illustrate that than our guest today. Someone that you and I had preconceived notions about. And those got totally flipped on their head after our conversation. I'm really excited for everybody to get a chance to listen to him and comment on Twitter or post on Peegs. But what do you say we get to it? I, I agree with you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Here comes a guest. Here comes a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you know we love Indiana legends. We love Indiana legends that could just fill it up. And we've got exactly one of those here today. Eric, I think you have a few more details. It may go on for some time about exactly who this gentleman is. Please take it away. Hailing from Dallas, Texas, where he attended the greatest name, I think, for any high school, the Colony. It just sounds important. At the Colony High School, he became a five-star recruit, ranked as high as 10th in the country. He was Parade All-American second team in 2002, where he decided to matriculate at Indiana University. And what did he do at Indiana? In just three seasons, became 18th all-time in scoring with 1,498 points. He was the ninth quickest player to 1,000 points. He had a high game of 39 points. He's 14th all-time in scoring average at 17.6 points per game. He led the team in scoring all three years. He made six threes five different times, including two against Kentucky. That's right. Kentucky. I said it the proper way. He is eighth all time in three pointers made. He had the third best freshman season all time in field goals made. He led the team in free throws made his last two seasons. First team all big 10 2005. USBWA all district in 04 and 05. World championship for young men qualifying team in 2004. He was drafted in the second round by the uh, in the fourth pick of the second round by the T Wolves. He's played professionally in obviously the NBA in Greece, Spain, Belgium, France, Croatia, Russia. Israel, several years in Turkey. He was all Euro Cup second team in 2011. This is my favorite accolade. He was the Israeli Super League finals MVP as a Jewish guy who has always said that Israel can play basketball. That's a big deal. Ladies and gentlemen, he was born Carl Armand Wright, but we know him better as Bracey Wright. Thank you so much, fellas, man. That was um undeserved but i will surely take that thank you guys absolutely you earned every one of those that's right you did so let's start first i i want to go way back and then i want to go to the current but way back let's talk about your name carl armand wright it's called bracy armand wright yeah where did bracy come from uh that's my name uh oh it is my second first name yeah you have two first names Two first names, middle name, last name. Carl Bracey Armand Wright. Uh, Bracey is a uh, originated uh, from France. Um, so 
So it's a small town in, in France. That's how the name came about. So, you know, that's just what it is. Uh, but I've always gone by Brace. Never, never really by Carl. So. No one calls you Carl. No mom, no family members, no old friends from Dallas. Everybody calls you Bracey. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, people who, who knew me from, you know, long ago, my Dallas days, whenever they are, you know, poking fun at me, they'll call me Carl Bracey. But uh, <laughs> other than that, no, just Bracey. All right. Very I, good. I, I could see one where like you get you're getting in trouble and your mom's like, <laughs> Carl Bracey, arm on right. Get in here right now. Something like that. That's right. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about get Hoosiers up to speed with what you're up mm -hmm. to now. For those of us watching this instead of listening, you're in mm -hmm. the swankiest uh, living room, uh, hotel room that I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Thanks to good old virtual backgrounds. But Absolutely. where are you, Bracey, right now? And, and tell us what's going on in your life. I'm in the Bay Area currently, San Francisco. Um, I've been out here for, I'll say about a little bit over a year. Um, and right now I am in the, um, as you can see up at the top, in the insurance industry, um, agency building. So I, I've been doing that for about two years now. Kind of where I transitioned um, from COVID when COVID kind of came about, you know, the leagues weren't really playing. So at that time I was in my, you know, later 30s. Didn't really want to sit that out, um, you know, and see when, when those leagues were going to start coming back. So I made a hard pivot to something totally unknown. Uh, and here I am today. Enjoying it, man. So it's been been great so far. Thanks great. For that, it, yeah. it is so completely different from what it you is. did for, yeah. for well over three decades of your life. Do you do you see any translation of of what made you a great basketball player now helping you in the insurance brokerage game? Uh, yes, I do. There's a there's a lot of translation there. I think from sports um, at an early age, you have to understand you know self discipline, you know kind of that self motivation, especially when you talk about longevity in a in a sporting career. And I think just the lessons from day in, day out, practice, games, you know, the ups and downs of the season, how to control your emotions through all of that, it applies here because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, looks a little different, but it's still the same concept. You have to be self-motivated, you know, um, self-disciplined, clock in, clock out kind of thing. So a lot of those disciplines that I, I learned as an athlete, they translate very well. Here, it's just... Um, it's just a different arena, different game. So, you know, you have to figure out what fits and, and how to make it work best move forward. So, Bracey, this is something I always like to talk to people who have now transitioned from basketball into the regular world, let's mm -hmm. call it. Uh, but you've been playing at the highest levels of basketball, you know, since your high school days, uh, whether it was AAU or obviously at the Colony and then Indiana. And you played professionally for what, about 15, 16 years, That's something true, like yeah. that you get such a, there's such a competitive um, spirit that exists at mm -hmm. the highest levels of basketball. How have you been able to fill that void in the last couple of years mm -hmm. or, or has it been easy for you uh, to, to just scratch that itch of wanting to beat the hell out of the person on the other side? <laughs> um, no, it has not been easy. That's something that, you know, I speak about quite often, you know, on, on various calls in my business. Um it's just a different beast when you spend, like you were saying, the better part of 30 years doing something one way, being extremely competitive, and then, you know, 
not necessarily in the drop of a hat, but quickly, you know, those things change. Um, you have to find a way to feel that. So it's, it's different. Um, but I think just staying consistent with, you know, my fitness routine, um, staying consistent with, you know, making sure I'm very active. Uh, so that was a huge part of my life. And I think that was the uh, catalyst for me being so competitive was I was so active. So it has not been easy, that transition, but, um, you know, it's a work in progress. Got all it. right. Let's let's go all the way back then. You know, you're growing up in Texas, widely known for football. How did basketball mm-hmm. come into your life? Um, it, it was something that was passed down to me. My my dad played, my uncles played, you know, my grandfather, you know, he played as well. So it was it was something to where we had a basketball family. Uh, so, you know, that was kind of a huge part of how it was introduced to me. Once I started playing, not even on a team, just once I started, you know, having a basketball, I have a hoop, go out there and, and do my own thing. The love for the game came and, and it always stuck with me. And how quickly... Once you started playing, did you realize that you could shoot the lights out? I would say probably when I started to um, play team ball, you know, AAU, you know, going on in the middle school. When I saw that, you know, shots that I was easily able to make, other people were not. That's when it kind of clicked to me, hey, I can can shoot this thing. Right, 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 right. And And did did you have – sorry, go ahead, Ward. Well, I, I was wondering at, at how quickly then, uh, with with your family background, do you immediately start to to go beyond? Hey, I'm I'm this is fun. I'm the best guy out here. I like winning. To, huh? Maybe I should I should consider doing this for my life. Uh, high school. <clears throat> yeah, I think high school was when everything clicked. H- high school, you get a different taste of what it means to travel with basketball, play on different leagues, playing kind of year round with middle school. And before that, at least in, in, at my time, you really didn't have that kids now they're, you know, all day, every day with the basketball and traveling and teams like that. But high school was really where I got a taste of, oh, I can do this on a, a really high level and, and I can do this, you know, pretty well on that level. So this might be something considering I might be able to make this thing a profession. So that's kind of where it clicked for me. And when you were a kid just starting to play and then into high school, did you have some basketball idols? Were there NBA players or college players that you looked to and like, yeah, that's that's the kind of game I want to play? Um, I loved Ray Allen growing up. Yeah. Um, I was a big, you know, Seattle Phonics fan growing up as well. I love Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, those guys. But uh, Ray Allen to me was just, he was everything. Um, you know, so anytime I was on the court, just messing around with my imagination, he always came to mind. So good guy this, to pick. Yeah, this, <laughs> this may be, you know, taking a slight step back, but I'm sure it was part of the whole journey. How uh, did your, your father, your uncles, how, how did they, besides just passing you clearly very good genes, did they work with you a lot? Was that where they they out, always out on the court with you, or did they let you just kind of do your own thing and find your own path? Uh, it was more so, you know, do my own thing. My one of my uncles, I have like my my dad has seven brothers. Wow, all you know, six, four and up. 
one of my uncles in particular, he was the one who really pushed to work with me a little bit, you know, getting me into, you know, the YMCA leagues when I was, you know, much younger and, and kind of, you know, driving me to practices and stuff like that. But I would say around 9, 10, um, my grandfather built me a basketball goal in his backyard. Mm. And it was like from sun up to sundown, I was there. I didn't need anybody coaching, practicing. I was just outside, you know, doing my own thing. Wow. All right. So your high school team is pretty legendary. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys were were. top notch Mm -hmm. and you had a backcourt teammate who was also a pretty good basketball player in Darren Williams, who, just so you know, we officially hate because he went to Illinois. So we have to hate him just so you know. Um, But what was the relationship like with Darren? Um, How good was it to play with a guy that good and competitive in high school? And, And also it should be noted, like, Darren was more of a late bloomer. I think he was very good, but mm-hmm. in high school, you were really the guy on that team. Mm-hmm. And Darren was, let's call him your, his, your Robin to your Batman. Mm-hmm. And okay. and then yeah. obviously his career took off later on, but what was Darren like? What was the relationship like there? And, and how good were you guys together? Uh, we were thick as thieves, man. When we're coming up. We were, we were like brothers. Um, you know, we, it was he and I, you know, on the basketball court all the time. I think he didn't get a lot of the deserved credit, you know, coming out of high school. He was really the engine who made us run, um, you know, from a point guard standpoint. He did everything for us. But we're like brothers, man. It, it was a great relationship. We had a lot of fun playing, whether it was, you know, one-on-one in practice or, you know, being on the same team. And then get a chance to go to the Big Ten together um, and then professionally together. So it was it was a great story. Um and that we love playing together, man. We, I think we had the best backcourt in Texas, um, you know, basketball history, and, right. in my opinion. Well, and I, yeah, I would think uh, in in the country for for your time together, at the very <laughs> least. Um, wh- well, let's yeah, I don't want to jump ahead to when you you did face him in the Big Ten, but you're in high school now. You guys are getting a lot of love nationally. Here comes recruiting. How does how do you handle that? How what was it like when these all of a sudden these big time programs start showing up at games and calling and sending letters? Uh, it was a it was a surreal experience to be honest with you. Um, you go from people locally, regionally, you know, knowing who you are. Um, one because I had a, a a pretty famous last name. People knew my you know my my dad from playing at SMU. But when it comes to the national stage, you start getting all those recruiting letters in the mail. I was just like every other kid hanging them up on my wall, you know, so I had walls full of letters. And then you start seeing these faces that you see coaching on TV, sideline of your game, showing up at, you know, the same tournaments that you're playing at. So it was it was a wonderful experience. It was. Do you remember who the first letter came from? And do you remember, was there one letter that came where you're like, oh, man, I can't believe these guys are recruiting me? Um, the first letter came from University of Texas. They recruited me hard. Um, who was the, was it? Was it, it was Rick who, Barnes. It was, it was Barnes there. Okay. Early in his Rick Texas Barnes, career, yeah, yeah. probably. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Texas and Utah were the first two. My high school coach had a, uh, a really great relationship with um, Rick Majerus. Oh wow! Uh, so, so those are the first two letters. I think the the letter that really I was like, oh yeah, I'm in there. It was, I think I got a letter from um, North Carolina. Oh yeah. wow, Dean Smith. This was 
Or was Dean gone? Did he give it? He was gone by then. Yeah. Okay. It was um, I can't remember the coach. Might it was. Been. I think it was his. Was it his assistant for all those years? What was his name? Um, the guy that was just there for a couple of years and he won a national title. Older yeah. gentleman. I'm forgetting his name. That's Guthridge right. yep. or something. I don't remember like his that. name, but it was. Yeah, it, it was that. It was that time period. Yep. Well, okay. And w- w- go ahead, Ward. Well, you know, and and I hear there was a a guy coming at you from Bloomington who was was really good about showing up and and making sure you knew how much you were wanted in Bloomington. Who was that guy? Yeah, man, that was Mike Davis. That that was the story I tell everyone. Um, my whole recruitment to Indiana was Mike Davis. Like, I think it started. We had the my junior year Super Showcase, Peach Jam. You know, all these Nike Circuit tournaments. I just started seeing this guy, man, front row, every game, front row. Didn't matter what time he played, where we played, he was there. Engaged with me. He was always around and and it was it was something that stood out because no other coach was doing that with the consistency that he was. So that wow. made a huge impression on me. Um I love Mike, man. Always, always will. Um as you can probably tell from our logo and from the way we look kind of stupid guys, uh, we ask some weird questions. So Utah and university of Texas were the first letters. Which one was the first car or bag of cash offered? (laughs) Um, Honestly, that might've been UCLA at the time. I think, you know, they, I don't know if they were known for this, but you know, UCLA was impressive in their in their recruitment. And, so, Tracy, so, though, how how difficult? Like when that stuff happens, and we all know it happens, and now it's legal, right, with NIL in, on some level. But when that is happening, how difficult is it to just not be like, wait, they're going to give me X number of dollars or car? I'm going to go there. Like, like how difficult is it to just push that away and and focus on? building a relationship with Mike Davis, who, while he obviously had the, the championship game run, was not a known commodity like all of these other coaches that are recruiting you. How difficult was that? It was pretty difficult because um, UCLA, I almost pulled the trigger with UCLA. Um, and it was kind of, I think they were in my top three. It was Indiana, UCLA, I think Tennessee at the time of Buzz Peterson. He was there. <clears throat> so <clears throat> it's, it's a challenge now. I'm glad it's legal because that was a huge point of conversation, um, especially in my generation with, you know, players getting paid and, you know, should we be paid legally? So it, it's a tough thing to kind of turn your eye to. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the relationship with Mike kind of outweighed everything and wow. you know, who he was to me at that time. So it, it-, it was great for me. And is part of it too, like betting on yourself, like, okay, I trust coach Davis. I like what he wants me to do when he comes to Bloomington. And that's going to be better for me long-term financially than quick benefits by showing up in Westwood. Uh, I mean, at that time, as a, you know, 17 year old kid, I didn't know. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I just knew I I really appreciated, you know, Mike Davis. Uh, I knew the history of Indiana basketball I knew Indiana was a Texas, you know, uh, type of state when it came to sports, but, you know, there, there were the basketball sport. Um, I just, like I said, I love the fact that he was an excellent recruiter and the way that he recruited was full of integrity. So that, that really impressed me. Wow. Uh, 
So you said you you knew the history of Indiana. Was that just because you were a basketball guy, and so you you were fairly familiar with Bob Knight and the history of Indiana, or um, did you start to learn the history once they started recruiting you? No, I, I knew about IU because when I was still in high school, um, a lot of the you know Saturday morning games, a lot in my region, they always broadcast Big Ten games. Right. So I was used to seeing the conference. I was used to seeing IU playing, and then when they made that run you know, to the national title game, I paid attention a lot. So that's when I really started to learn who IU was. And I, and I knew about A.J. Guyton. You know, I knew about, you know, Calvert Chaney and, and all of these guys, especially, you know, uh, back in the championship days in the 70s. Yeah. I had knew about those guys, but I didn't know it in a, uh, in a great detail. But, you know, as I started paying closer attention to IU, um, during those times I was watching the Big Ten and, and seeing those games, starting to pay attention. But, it, you know, Thing that stood out was the candy stripes. I mean, that's hard to miss. Yes, and, uh, candy stripes. So anytime I was seeing that, I was always tuned in. Do you remember your visit? Do you remember your official visit to Indiana? I do. I do. Walk yeah, us yeah. through. Walk us through that visit. What that was like. Your first impressions of Bloomington and of uh, of Indiana as a whole. Um, my first visit. To be honest, that was the only official visit I took. After that visit, I knew I was going there. Um, wow. But. I arrive on campus and I remember, I don't know if it was Sean Klein or if it was Jared Jeffries, who was, we were in the gym and they were doing sprints. I think um, Coach Traylor at the time, he was assistant coach, he had them doing sprints. They were like, man, are you sure you want to come here and get into this? Are you sure you're ready for this? I was sure it was me, Marshall Strickland, Sean May. At that time, all three of us were having very serious conversations about let's all go to IU together. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Sean had huge connections there because his dad played. Um, but I think with his dad and, and the connection he had with Bobby Knight, once Knight was gone, he didn't really want to go in there. So North Carolina was the option. But I remember on my visit, we were all in a hotel room talking about hey, what it's going to be like if we come in as freshmen, what we can do who else we can get to join us. And I think when we left there, we were all on board. And that's why me and Marshall, you know, we were like, let's go. And then we were waiting on Sean. And next thing we know, he committed to North Carolina, man. So and that was a let down, but, you know, it was good for him. So appreciate that. Oh, no, no, we don't. We only want what's good for Indiana University. <laughs> that was bad. And he's dead to us. Um <laughs> Do you remember like the conversation with your family or letting coach Davis know like sort of the moment of commitment and and talk us through that? I mean, one of the most consequential decisions of your life. Yeah. When I came back from, um, I don't, I only think it was when I came back from my official visit, right when I was leaving, you know, IU from my visit, I think I told Mike, like, I pretty much know, you know, I want to come here. When I got back home to Dallas, um, I discussed it with my mom. I told her I thought this was a you know a great move for me just because of how I felt you know Mike would treat me, how we would have a relationship, and you know what that could be like for us. She was okay with that. Uh, she was okay with him. So I signed my letter of intent right there. What was it like on? I assume your visit, your first visit, is the first time you walked into Assembly Hall. What do you remember about when the I, first the first time? When I first walked into assembly, I remember just the you know the drum shape of the hall and how the 
fans went all the way up and it seemed to just get lost forever way back then. <laughs> um, but I, I just, you know, saw all the red and white. I saw the banners hanging and I remember just looking up like I could be up there. You know, we, we could do something to, to put a banner up there. And, you know, in that moment, it was just like, man, this is home for me. So love that. I and didn't want to go anywhere else. I, I didn't want to take another visit anywhere after I took my visit to IU. So I knew for me that was where I was going to go. Well, and how how much did actually just just Bloomington, just the campus, just the school, did that, I think, you know, after three years, I'm sure you realized how just wonderful it was. But did mm-hmm. that come into play too? Like, this just seems like a wonderful place to live for a few years. Uh, it did. Uh, I'll be honest with you, when I flew into Indianapolis and we made that drive down to Bloomington, it was the most beautiful thing I'd seen to that point. The trees, you know, on both sides, they were turning colors. It was a different world coming from, you know, flat land, no trees anywhere in Dallas. It's just prairie lands for, for days, hot, humid. And then I get to, you know, Indiana and I'm driving down to Bloomington. It's crisp in the air. You know, the trees are everywhere. Leaves are falling. It's just, you know, it was beautiful, man. So I was like, man, this is, I get used to this. <laughs> We we often talk about how college basketball, because, you know, it's kind of a four year career is the max you can do. Although now it seems like some guys stay in college for like six years with medical waivers and all that. And 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 obviously many players leave early as you did one year early. But college basketball is very much segmented into eras when you follow a team and the era that you came into you were the beginning of a new era of Indiana basketball. And I think that not many people were prepared for, you know, Jared leaving, obviously Mm -hmm. Um, he left. That was a big deal. The team had just gone to the championship game, gone to a final four for the first time in a decade. And we lost Dane Fife, who was a big part of that team also, especially on the defensive side, but then became a really good three-point shooter. Jared Odell was heart and soul of the team. They lost a lot. And here you Marshall and Sean come in and there's a lot of pressure when you come into a situation with a team that had just come off of a co-Big Ten championship and a Final Four championship game. Did you feel that pressure coming in that you had to just immediately make an impact? Um, I didn't know Jared was going to leave. I thought he was going to come back. There were discussions that he was going to come back. But, you know, anytime you, you have a run like he had, it's always a possibility. Um, I wasn't expecting a, you know, huge for myself individually, like a expectation there. I knew I had a really good chance to come in and start and make an impact right away. The biggest thing that I don't think any of us were prepared for as far as players, um, was what that was going to look like post Bobby Knight. Right. How everyone was going to view us, what the expectation was going to be for us, how they would treat us. And we found out really quickly there was a huge loyalty to Bobby and I. And I think those were some really challenging days for us. Um, we were trying to find an identity of who we were. Mike was trying to find his identity because I think the big storyline was, yeah, he made it to a national title game, but that was not his team. Right, um, right. So trying to be in that shadow of some icon like a Bobby Knight, find your own way, bring your own recruits in, play your own style. It was a, 
it, it was a tough few years. And I think, you know, the in exterior, you know, noise kind of seeped in. Did you know, it, in we in your in freshman Rockland, year? So, did yeah. you feel it your freshman year? Um, no, my freshman year, <clears throat> I think we were really solid still then. You know, we we played some good basketball. We yes, had, you, did. you know, you know, early exit in the tournament. But my sophomore junior year, that's when it was really hard. Uh, we had a lot of injuries. We had a lot of guys who, um, you know, didn't play as well as we could. Then we had the transfers. Had to wait on them. It was just wasn't good times. Um, you know, and I think we were still trying to battle. Hey, older guys who have been here, are you going to come back and show love and, and still? kind of build up this new generation or are you still tied to Bobby Knight? And I think that was the hardest part. Um, you know, those older guys who were such a foundation for IU didn't really come back a lot. Didn't really, you know, give back like a like a Duke basketball brotherhood, a Carolina, Kentucky, those kind of, you know, blue blood programs. Now, Zeke came back. He was around. Calvert Chaney was around. Um, you know, um, came around i think the what's the big guy benson last name Ken benson. Ken benson yeah exactly he came around um but really that was it you know aj guyton came back but you know for the most part nobody but else yeah did. you're talking uh, about those legends from the 70s that exactly. that were so part of the bob knight legacy exactly. it's funny we we spend a lot of time talking about those teams obviously we don't and we spent a lot of time talking about the the kind of division that happened when Knight was let go but we don't spend much time talking about the impact that that had on the players that were in the wake of that and it's interesting I've never really thought about that that would have had an impact on you guys and and clearly it's it's interesting to hear you talk about that like I said it was a challenge I think that's that was a conversation us as players we had a lot in in our locker rooms when we traveled just you know Sorry, guys. Are that's okay. Good? Let me. Yeah, I think so. But that's our. Oh, there you go. You're back. Oh, I'm here. Um, so yeah, you were just saying that they were conversations that you had a yeah, lot. Yeah, there was, there were a lot of conversations we had about that. That was a that was a really challenging um, situation, just because we understood what we were getting into as far as this is Indiana basketball. People know Indiana basketball. We are a hot ticket, you know, and we have a a, a legacy here has been laid in and it was just it was tough when you felt like the people who are supposed to be behind you were not necessarily behind you because they still loved what was no longer there um, yeah it's not so that, fair that was a challenge yeah that, that was a, a big challenge for us so speaking of challenges you've been lighting up the high school courts the aau courts it's big <laughs> it's big 10 time it's it's uh-huh. big boy basketball uh when you got, whether it be into practices, you know, let's start with practices. You know, did you, did you all of a sudden feel like, uh, oh, I got this. This is just business as usual. Or was there like, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta go next level. No. Uh, no, I, I came in with that mindset of, I don't know really what it's going to be like, but when I got on campus, we started having our open runs. Uh, right, you know, before we had official practices, we were just in the gym playing pickup ball. I would say probably after my first week, I was like, yeah, I, I, 
I got this. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> uh, wow. And then we went to the Maui Invitational. Um, and from there, that was my first taste of college basketball. And after that first game, I was like, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the Maui Invitational because your college career at Indiana could not have started better. You go to Maui, you play against UMass, your first game, 11 points, five rebounds, two assists, three blocks, win. Second round game against number 20 Gonzaga, 15 points, six rebounds, seven assists. You win by one. You're in the championship game against Virginia, 21 points, seven rebounds. You win the Maui Invitational. And you are the only, you become the MVP of the Maui Invitational only the second time in its history that a freshman has won the MVP. Mm-hmm. You guys are clicking. I do want to ask, though, you had some strong personalities still on that team from the last year's team, like Coverdale. Mm-hmm. You know, we've met Cove. Cove was a leader of the team the year before. We love Cove. Mm-hmm. But you guys play very different games. Mm-hmm. You're very different players. Yeah. Was it difficult to mesh with him? Did you find that <laughs> at all difficult your freshman year? No, I, I didn't find it difficult to mesh with any of those guys. Um, I had a really phenomenal high school coach who at a very early point in my high school career, when he decided to put me on varsity as a freshman, uh, he just told me, he understood how talented I was, but one thing he always wanted me to make sure that I remember was allow the game to come to me. Mm. Don't force the game. Uh, allow that to come to you. You know, pick and choose your spots early. Find your rhythm early, and then the game will kind of show you where your spots are that you can take advantage of it. So when I got to IU, and I knew that you know those guys. I'm aware they're coming off a national title game. So these guys are, you know, really good. You know, they can play and a lot to play for. And they're coming back with a chip on their shoulder. So I understood that they were the leaders of the team. I just find my spot. And what made it a blessing was we had a whole lot of guys who would shoot the ball. Yes. Mm-hmm. Kyle Hornsby, you know, Tom, myself, you know, we had Marshall as well. They're guys who can, you know, shoot that thing. Dane, you know, obviously too. Um, so it was just, hey, make the extra pass. If you got the shot, knock it down. If you can penetrate and kick, because we were so good at that. And I think they were unselfish to me as well, which made it a lot easier for me just to play basketball. Was there one of those guys, anybody on the team really, who took you under their wing a little bit and said, hey, it's Indiana. It's a bit of a, a different beast here. Here's how you navigate yeah. these waters. Um, I'm grateful for AJ Moye, uh, oh. for Jeff Newton, you know, George Leach, you know, those guys, they really kind of took me under their wing. Um, you know, Dane Fife, he was a, a guy who I, I had a lot of fun with as well. He had some great, you know, points and stories for me, especially, you know, as a guard as well. Um, but I would say really AJ, uh, AJ Moyer, he, he really, from a, a mental standpoint, helped me understand what it means to be at IU, how to kind of, you know, start working, you know, like a college basketball player and just what to expect from being on campus, being away from, you know, so far away from home. He came from Georgia as well. We had, we had a, you know, similarity. So there are two games in the non-conference season 
that are just weird games that happened this freshman year. The first is, which is awesome, and I feel like they should do this every year. If college basketball had like a real leader, they would. But a national title rematch game. You guys play Maryland in the non-conference in a national title rematch. You go for 19, seven rebounds, six assists. And I do want to say this, by the way. I'm just going to get this out of the way. And we'll get into how much you like shooting the ball. But I do think that something that is missed on your career is how many assists you had. Mm-hmm. You, When you look at your stats year by year and these games, you you're an unbelievable assist man. Now, now, obviously, I think you have an advantage because everybody's keying on you, but you have the willingness to give up the ball. And I think people overlook that because they the truth is, Bracey, I think that so much of the disappointment in the team success those next few years, everybody just looks for somebody to blame. And, Mm -hmm. oh, well, he just shoots too much. But when you actually examine your career, your assists are every bit as impressive as any other part of your game. But talk to me about that Maryland rematch game. Obviously, you weren't on the team that went to that game. But Cove was, and Newton was, and Moye was. What what was that game like? What do you remember from that game? Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, that was in the Pacers arena. Uh, I believe, I believe it was so. That that, I thought that was the Purdue game. <clears throat> the Purdue game was in Conseco. Where did we play Maryland? And I, I thought we you played have it Maryland up, Ward? Um, yeah, I can bring it up. Give me one second. That was in no, that was in Conseco too. Purdue oh, was wow. at the RCA Dome. I, oh, okay, right, that's right. I I remember because it was a they built that game up. You know, it was like you know these guys are really good. We're really good. It was a it was a kind of a game of the week type situation. Um, I just remember I was loving being in the NBA arena, and yeah. I was ready to play. So I I know. I'd watched Juan Dixon a lot. People compared me to him as well, just kind of his style of play, you know, a smaller type of scoring guard. I was excited to, you know, be on the same floor as him as well. But it was a, it was a great game. I think that game went into overtime or something. I think yes. it went in there, yeah. It did. Well, then let's let's go to the Purdue game, which is it's odd to have that before the conference starts. A, just a random matchup with Purdue in the RCA Dome. Forget NBA arenas. Now you're in an NFL stadium, but you had not grown up with the rivalry. And mm-hmm. what was it like to you to be introduced to the arch nemesis of Indiana University in that environment? Um, I didn't really feel it then. I didn't feel that the weight of the rivalry until we played in um you know at Purdue yeah Uh, that that was really that was really when I felt it a lot you know coming (laughs) to the arena on the bus going through warm-ups and you know it was it was what I would expect us to do to Purdue when they came you know down to Bloomington so um that's when I really understood what that rivalry meant I was annoyed anytime I see them on tv now in like top five I just turn it off. <laughs> in, unless, of course, it's while we're beating them. Then yeah, that's, that's great. <laughs> um, so you win that game. Mm-hmm. You're seven and zero. You're now eight and zero. You're ranked number six in the country. Mm-hmm. You're rolling. Everything seems to be rolling. And now you play Kentucky. So you go from playing Purdue to now the other rivalry, and you play them in Louisville. And this is a weird game mm-hmm. because of how it ended. You're up 64 to 63 with 25 seconds left because you scored a rebound bucket to give us the lead. We go down one with seconds left. You get a shot and you get hammered. 
mm-hmm. you get fouled, right? I mean, you did get yeah, fouled. I right? remember that, yeah. Yeah. The ball doesn't go, and your coach, Mike Davis, loses his mind. I, remember, I mean, like it was what do you remember about that whole scenario, that play, and what coach was doing at that time? <clears throat> uh, I remember everything about it. Uh, I, I get asked about this a lot, to be honest with you. Um, I remember driving to the basket. I got hit in the head. It didn't call it. Mike is just beside himself. And I remember trying to put myself in between him and the ref, calm him down. I think I ended up calming him down because he didn't get ejected. Um, but I think that was the turning point for a lot of what came next because that was a huge game. If we win that game, we have a lot of momentum going forward. Yeah, uh, But we lose that game and things kind of – start unraveling a little bit from there. Um, I just remember it was a game that we knew we were better than Kentucky. We knew we were, we, we had the chance to win that game. Um, we were right there, did the things that we wanted to do, got the, the, the call that we wanted to get in and just didn't happen to go our way. Um, yeah. But I don't think we could have did anything different. We want to draw the foul. Obviously there was a foul, um, but, you know, sometimes they don't call them and, and then – Kentucky goes on to to beat us there, but I just remember Mike. I never seen him like that, right? And I just was trying to calm him down and and keep him from either getting a tech, getting ejected, or whatever it was. Um, but that was a crazy game, man. That, that was a crazy yeah. game. I think I had a someone sent me a photo of that game, that moment when I'm driving to the basket and the guy's hitting me in the back of the head. I think uh, some years ago, a uh, fan sent me a photo of that. Oh wow evidence it's our it's our evidence well look the 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 big 10 season actually starts okay you guys start off four and one Mm -hmm. uh but then what really seems to happen from the outside is you get hurt Mm -hmm. you're back you aggravate a back injury and that keeps you out of some games and it did seem like it affected you the rest of the season that that could just be from the outside looking in did so talk to us a little bit about that injury and what you had to do to come back from it and how it did affect you going forward? Uh, that injury, honestly, it changed the scope of a lot for me. Mm. When I remember going, I think we were playing Ohio State, we were yep. for a jumper, I come down wrong. Something in my back just did not feel right. Um, and I remember me and Tim Garl, uh, we spent so many hours trying to stretch that thing out, work on it, get it right, try to avoid having the surgery that I ultimately ended up having. But I think more so than physically, mentally, what it did for me to be a 17, 18-year-old kid, having to have back surgery, having a back injury, when, especially when you're rolling, you're playing well, and now the what was a huge part of my game was being a guard who could rebound, a guard who could play above the rim. And you know, your back's hurting, not feeling right. You got to wear this, you know, big, big ass back brace that they had me on for the, the rest of the season. I was just really uncomfortable, you know, in it. And I couldn't move the way I wanted to. And mentally, I felt just not in a very good place once that kind of happened. And then, and, 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 you know, from there, just didn't never feel the same till many years later. Mm. Um, if we can just take a quick sidestep over to Timmy G., he mm-hmm. is uh, not necessarily a guy any player wants to have to spend a lot of time with, 
Um, but I, I think it's been a while since we've got to shine the spotlight on him. And, and what does he mean to somebody who's going through that and just to the team and program in general, especially a program that had been fractured and yet he remained? Um, I think when, when you talk about IU basketball, for those who are really unfamiliar with it, he is a, I, I don't want to say he's a glue guy, but he's a staple of IU basketball. Like he, other people came and went, Tim Goro was still there. Mm-hmm. Like that's assembly hall is his, like he, he's someone when you are injured. Um, I don't think I ever had a, a trainer or physio who one understood what he was doing so much, but two just really was there for you. You know, he wanted you to do your work, wanted you to get better, but you know, he wanted the best for you first and foremost. Uh, and then, like I said, we worked a lot stretching massages, you know, treatments. I felt like I was in his, you know, office more than I was on the court for a long time. Mm. But, you know, whenever you're going through an injury, you you want a physio, you know, that way. That, that's really going to, you know, put in the time with you. And um, that's what made him so great. I think that's why he's been around so long, because people trust him. People trust him, what, you know, what he's doing. He was for the national team. Um, I think he had a photo up there with like Barkley, Ewan, Bird, all those guys, and he was on that staff. So, you know, he knew his stuff, man. Was there any part of you, you missed several games in a row. It coincides with Indiana losing five games in a row after a really good start. Was there ever a conversation then about, do I shut it down for this year? Do I take a medical red shirt? Do I, was there any talk about just, I'm not going to be 100%? Do I pack it in for a year? Um, no, there was never any talk of that. I think all of the talk was around, I want to play. I don't, mm-hmm. I hate that we are losing. I I know that we are losing because I'm not on the court, because I'm not able to perform how I, you know, am known to perform. Uh, but there was never any talk of shutting it down. I think once the injury came and we saw that this was going to be a thing, how can we preserve me to be able to, you know, get back on the floor, but not make it any worse. Um, and then from there, have the surgery in the off season. Every conversation after that was, you know, how can we make sure that we're taking the precautions necessary to make sure that I'm able to be on the court and, and do what I can do properly. And it, it never, like I said, it, I never felt the same. Um, so I don't know, maybe it would have been better to shut it down possibly, but Looking back, yeah. When you're in it, you can't make that. I get that. Well, look, you kind of. Well, yeah, you just sort of. The rest of the season, you guys are just sort of treading water, trying to get across the finish line. But then, as often happened in Coach Davis's era, uh, you start to find something in the Big Ten tournament. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to? how coach Davis would prepare you guys for tournament play. Whereas even, even in a regular season that ended up being, you know, a bit of a slog, you come into big 10 tournament play and you win a couple games right out the gate. Uh, I think everybody understands when, when you talk about having a conference tournament, anything can happen. And especially with the way that going into March madness, they view those tournaments, right? You have a lot of teams who struggle. They can go on and make a run in their conference tournament. They can be right there. So I think that was the whole mindset around every time we went into the tournament was, you know, 
it's just one game. Anything can happen in these one games. We put a couple together, the next thing you know, we're in the finals or we're in the semifinals or whatever it is. So I think that was the mindset we had going into that. Why not? All right, us? Well, let's let's not lose sight of this. You play college basketball, obviously. Somebody like you, you're looking at college basketball as a step to get you to the NBA and your mm -hmm. livelihood. Mm -hmm. But you play college basketball to make the NCAA tournament and to play mm -hmm. in the NCAA tournament. And you do. Your first year, you get a seven seed and you get matched up with Alabama in the first round. Do you remember Selection Sunday? Do you remember just the excitement of being able to play in the tournament like you had watched it for so many years? Here it is. What do you remember from that time? Um, <clears throat> I remember a lot of excitement. <clears throat> I know we were in Boston at the TD. I don't know if it was called the TD Garden Inn, but I remember two things being upset that we were a 70 because I knew we were better than that. Uh, and the second thing was I did not want to wear that back brace that mm -hmm. I had to wear. I, it was, it restricted me a lot in toward the end of the year and on into the big 10 tournament. I didn't want to wear that just because I, I felt like if I had it on, it was going to be hard for me to be me in the Alabama game, I've struggled. I, it was hard for me. You know, I had to wear that. And then I think we ended up beating Alabama the next game. We had Pitt. Yeah, a really um, good Pitt team. Really like one of the best Pitt team. teams yeah. that they've ever had. And I, I feel like we 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 could have beat them. You know, we, we were the better team there. Uh, maybe not record-wise or whatever it was, but I felt like we had the better team um, if I was healthy. But just didn't pan out, man. Well, then that leads into your sophomore year. So in that offseason, you get surgery. Mm -hmm. Was that your first surgery? Yes, it was. How scary was that whole time for you? Um, it wasn't super scary because everyone always kept saying, hey, you know, Mike Woodson had back surgery. He said hmm. that. that was the big that was the big thing people leaned on. Hey, you know, Mike Woodson, I got through this before and, you know, having a chance to just hear that, know that somebody else has been through that in my program. You know, that was a huge, you know, kind of uplift for me. Um, going through the surgery was okay, no problem. But the recovery and everything after was what I did not prepare for. So that that was that was the hardest. So thing. talk to us about that. What what was it that you hadn't prepared for? Um, <clears throat> when you can just jump and dunk a ball, and then and you can get back on the court after all the surgery said and done and you can jump and it's like <laughs> something's not the same there. Wow. Feel the same and your lateral movements and all the things that you know kind of make you you are are may not be so much less, but you feel that difference. And when you feel that difference, you feel it here as well. Mm. So that makes you kind of second guess some of the things that you would do normally without thinking about them. And I think anytime you second guess yourself in any sport, that leads to more injuries, at least to errors, at least you're not performing to your best. And I think that's my sophomore year and junior year kind of in a nutshell. Um, and is that that's something, it doesn't sound like something you could be prepared for. You just kind of have to live through it. But I wonder now, 20 years later, is that something where, okay, you're paired up with like a sports psychologist, you know, before you even go under the knife and, and that something could be done to help a player going through it now that maybe just wasn't thought of back then? Absolutely. I think if, 
if mentally I would have prepared myself better because when I'm on the opera, well, I wasn't on the table yet, but I'm, I'm kind of getting ready for the, the operation. The doctor said, okay, you know, there's a chance that um, you're going to lose some speed, lose some athletic ability just because of what we're having to do with the disc. That was what I internalized. That was pretty much the last thing I heard before I go into life. So mm-hmm. I'm subconsciously expecting not to be as quick, expecting not to be able to jump as high. If I had someone there prior to that saying, hey, you know, let's keep our mind right. Stay mentally strong. Visualize what you want to return to, how you can get back there, work there, keep your mind strong. I feel like it would have made all the difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good bedside manner. By the no. And eventually it got to that point. It just took, you know, uh, a much longer, much longer time. So you go into your sophomore year as fans, we live and die on every game. And we also live and die on every recruiting class. Mm-hmm. And your recruiting class was bonkers. We were so excited. It was you. It was Marshall. It was the backcourt of the future. It was Sean. It it all felt really good. Now, Sean then ultimately had to deal with injuries, too, that sapped him of a lot of his talent and athletic ability. Yeah. Yeah. Moving into your sophomore year now, it's another sea change in Indiana because you lose Coverdale. Mm-hmm. You know, you lose Newt. You lose Hornsby. So... Mm-hmm. Most of that championship game team now are gone. It is clearly your team. And unfortunately, the recruiting class this year was just not up to snuff. It was you know, not, we yeah. came really close to Charlie Villanueva, and we came close to Lou Aldang. <laughs> you, know? Man, you guys have no idea how close we came to that. I, and it's it's something like players that I've I've played with and people who knew about what was going on at that time, always a big point of conversation that that was I mean that was pretty much a done deal um and we Lou Aldang Charlie Villanueva Josh Smith me Marshall like that was a core thing that we were all in Mike Davis's office talking about this what we were going to do how we were going to structure it out late night in the office I remember one night and Mike Krzyzewski Went over to London, man, to visit Luau's parents. Um, and that was it, man, you know. And that was that. He went to Duke. And then once Luau didn't commit, Charlie got cold feet. He ended up saying, okay, well, I think I'm just going to go to UConn. And then once Charlie and Luau was out of the picture, Josh was like, well, I might as well try my hand, jumping straight to the league. Wow. That was a huge huge letdown and I, I cannot tell you like how close we were there because we worked so hard I knew those guys already we worked hard to kind of put that together and it materialized over a period of time and then when it got to the point where we were all in Mike's office kind of sitting down talking about this it was very very real um and like that was we were like man we, we can win the national title yes uh, I'm yeah. I'm healthier you know, you guys are who you are. You know, we have some experience under our belt. Like at that time, if it was one and done, you got go to IU run a national title. I think all of us could have left at that time. But wow, just, just another example of how evil Coach K is. Just, a, right. just a horrible. But you know what? Game. I think, I think if, and I always say this: if we would have had 
the type of brotherhood that those other blue blood programs would have had where those guys come back and they are playing pickup ball at Bloomington and they are around the program. And you see guys, later guys after myself, like a Victor Oladipo or Eric Gordon, you know, these guys who go on to the league and play coming back, having their presence there. I think that would have done a huge, huge service to us in landing the people who we were wanting to land. Mm. Now they, now they feel that connection to IU. That's a great, great point. Great point. To jump to, to present day and coach Woodson being back there and the, the vibes around the program, do you feel confident now and just, just happy for these guys there now to know that, the families coming back together and and the brotherhood is showing up more often than they did for 20 years. I do. I love the fact that Mike Woodson is there. I remember when Tom Crean got hired, Tom Crean was my guy for a long time. I love that he was there, but I I'm appreciative that it's an IU guy, you know, a player like, like a Mike Woodson who's there. Uh, he has those guys playing well. Uh, I, I actually did uh, AJ Guyton's podcast a while back and we were speaking about, you know, how, uh, you know, appreciative we are might have an opportunity to lead IU and what that means for players who can see how fans respect Mike and what he's done for that program and how he's been in the league and his coaching in the league. So he understands what it means to go from college to pro and what they're looking for and he can make pros, man. So we're moving in the right direction. I, I still don't feel like there is a community for a lot of the guys who played at IU to come back. Uh, you yeah. to spend time there it's still not there and AJ Guyton and I were speaking about this as well you got to find a way to bridge that gap to because IU is a special program and it's always expected of IU to be a basketball you know university so you want to have the people who came through the program being a part of that sharing those experiences and, and showing love to the newer generation so that they don't feel like they're just on an island by themselves well, yeah. especially somebody like you. I mean, came from Texas, no real connection to Indiana, played professionally in the NBA, got drafted, played professionally, made good money, and and supported yourself and made a good mm-hmm. life for 15 years. That kind of experience and that kind of success, we should want around the program. And, Absolutely. you know, I, I, not, I don't want to skip over the last year and a half of, of your career, but I did want to ask, does that um, – Again, you were stuck in this weird era that was after night that caused the divide. And a lot of people put that divide at Mike Davis's feet for better or worse. And then it was a mess with with Kelvin. And then Crean tried to get it back, you know, did his part in some ways to get us back. Then we took a step back with Archie and now we're, we're, we're at Woody. It's just been this stop and start thing. Do you feel, for lack of a better word, Bracey, are you hurt by not feeling part of the greater IU community that you feel like you gave so much to? Absolutely. I I think, um, and it's it's justified when you are playing at a high level, you know, the fans, they expect, you know, certain things, especially when you come from a program that wins and that is known for winning, you know, you expect each team that you field every year to be a winner or at least to compete, you know, in, in those crucial moments. Um, I think we gave everything that we had considering the circumstances that we were surrounded with. But, you know, you mentioned it. How many coaches have we had, you know, since I was there? How many, 
you know, ADs have, have come in and, and a lot, you know, what, what's been going on with the program. Uh, I feel like the only person that's been consistent with Tim Garl. Yeah. Uh, Tim Garl and Larry Rink. Exactly. And those guys don't play any basketball right. <laughs> or anything like that. So I, I definitely felt, um, in a sense, unappreciated for yeah, sure. know, my time there because the guys before me were never around. Um, and there's not a lot to bring older guys back. And I think one thing that keeps that cycle going is that when they in a, when they change out staff, people lose their connections. Like you're bringing all these new staffs in and you're not bringing the players back. Connections get lost. And I think any time a new coach comes to a program, that's one of his main focuses is making sure that the former players are involved to a degree. You know, no, I, we, look, you're preaching yeah, to the absolutely. choir here, man. We we agree totally, and I, I think we we lost it totally with Archie. I mean, totally for four years, it just went down the toilet. But I, I think Woody wants to bring it back, but I think it is hard for Woody because he's from an era that ended in 1980, mm-hmm. right? So all of his connections were to guys prior, and he's yeah. still close to those guys: Scott May, Quinn Buckner. Ted Kitchell, Randy Whitman, yeah. those guys come back. But then because of the split that happened, it's just this 20-year gap almost where it was like, I'm yeah. not part of that anymore. Yeah. And, and you then, got swept up in that. And and try to, to try to make it constructive here, you are one of these guys, one of these great players who are sort of orphaned by, you know, being coached by coaches who weren't like born and bred of the Indiana program. Do you do you have an idea for what that would look like? How you know is it something in the summer, maybe when more guys are available, or what? What would that look like for you to? Oh, look at this invitation I got from from the IU basketball program to do this, or or you know, I I guess I just want you to put it out there, and then maybe it's something that can start to happen. Uh, honestly, I think I think it's something. That's a great question. Um. I think it's something that has to be whoever is there, the staff that they have there, the, the you know, I, I know each university has people who are over kind of alumni outreach. Um, but for basketball specifically, I think whoever is there just has to do a great job of always keeping the pulse on the former players, always keeping that, you know, the doorway open. Hey, you, you are part of this family. We'd love for you to come back anytime. We'd love to have you around the program. You meant something here. You walk these halls, you put on this uniform. You know, you, you were here at one point building what Indiana basketball means, keeping those lines of connection open. And then in the summer, like you say, Hey, we're having runs up here. You guys want to come back and train at IU or getting those NBA guys who were IU guys finding ways to incorporate them into, hey, come use our facilities or you train and come up here to IU. Come, it, it has to be on whoever is there to make that outreach. It's not going to be like, you know, players, they're not going to say, oh, I'm beating down the door to come back to IU. Right. Never really like that until you build it that way. And then after a while, while you're producing guys who go play overseas or go play in the NBA when you have that culture, then you have those guys saying, man, I'm, these other guys are going there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to go play with you. I'm going to come play this pickup game, or I'm going to come to these games and, and 
you know, whenever we're in town playing the Pacers or if we're in Indiana for anything, I'm going back home to IU. That's how it starts, only with whoever is there really being proactive in, you know, keeping those those communication lines open. Well, Bracey, um, obviously we're just getting to know each other. A lot of what we've done with this podcast is to go celebrate the careers of people that maybe these young fans don't know or even mm -hmm. fans of the time forget and to go back and appreciate what you did. And we've done a bunch of events in Bloomington. Every year now for the last couple of years, we do a weekend fantasy experience mm -hmm. where it's a bunch of guys like Ward and me and people better than us that always wanted the dream of playing at Indiana. We get to suit up and play games at Indiana. Uh, and the team coaches us and we bring back alumni. We have a giant fan fest where we open it up to the fans. Tickets range from $5 to $200 if somebody mm -hmm. wants to sit courtside. And we want to bring back alumni. We do a golf outing. I, I mean, consider this the official invite. It's August 17th to 20th this year at okay. Indiana. We would love, if the schedule works for you, I would love to have you there in every capacity. I'd love you to be a GM of one of the fantasy teams um, and be there. I mean, that's it's a fun weekend where you get to mix with fans, but a lot of former players come. And the uh, current AJ, players. You get to know a, the current players, too. Yeah, you get to Absolutely. mix with the current players, the coaches. A.J. Moye's coming this year. Nice. Uh, he's going to be there. We would love to have you. I'll talk to you offline about it, but mm -hmm. we'll fly you out and, and put you up there. Um, I would love to have you there. I think it's super important for, for you to be there. So I'll send you that info afterwards. I appreciate let's, that, so let's get back because I think it is part and parcel to this conversation. The recruiting uh, failures at that mm -hmm. point, you know, led to, a sophomore and junior year that really hurt, I think, you overall. I mean, mm -hmm. you were now in a position where you had very little help on this team. And Marshall, I love Marshall Strickland. I thought he was a great player at Indiana. And by the way, I think he's totally underappreciated as well mm -hmm. for what he did. But it just seemed like everything was about you at this point. It had to be. We didn't have a lot of help coming in. And our best chance was for you to chuck it up as many times as you could. <laughs> and that year, your sophomore <laughs> year, was a tough year. I mean, you just didn't have a lot of freshman help. You lost a lot of senior leadership and, and it was a rough season, you know, uh, and then couple it with George Leach gets injured oh, yeah. and Leach goes down and Leach was playing well. That was like Leach starting to put it together. And it just turned into, you had some huge games and games that you just filled it up. You know, you scored 20 in the big 10 tournament against, um, against uh, Ohio State. You had a 27 points against Xavier uh, for a win. You had you had giant games, but the season just didn't go out. Anybody wanted it to. And now there's talk about, is Davis the coach of the future or not? Mm -hmm. And did that start to seep in during this year also? And how did that impact the team? Um, I think everything like I mentioned before, kind of started seeping in. Yeah. First and foremost, you have to remember we're all people. Um, you know, everybody has this thing about athletes where they kind of put them a little bit higher than they may need to be. But we're, we're all people. And, and I know Mike, you know, he was a, a very good person. But those things when you hear, and, and I'm sure we only heard maybe a 
quarter of the things that were going on and the things that were said to him and, and how that was kind of playing out because, you know, let's be honest, you know, it wasn't a very friendly time for him when you're not winning at IU basketball, right? Um, so I know that affected him personally. He, he surely tried to shield us from that, but you can you can see that when somebody is has something really heavy weighing on them, that weighs on players as well. Um, and then from a player standpoint, individually, whether you're not performing well, whether you're injured, all of those things weigh on the, the program. Um, but I think fans were so quick to say Mike was not the right guy for the program because of what they were so used to having. And right. you see, like, it wasn't just necessarily Mike was not the right person for the program. It doesn't seem like anyone has fit that mold. I, I, <laughs> for, for me, you really have to let go of, you don't have to let go of what Bobby Knight did, but you have to let go of trying to replace him. Or trying to emulate him, Definitely. right? Like, because that's just not going to happen. <clears throat> and, and let IU basketball, you know, find, evolve and have a new purpose of what it's going to serve in this current era of the game. Um, but, you know, all of those things take a toll on someone because in the day we're just kids, you know, yeah. playing, you know, playing basketball. That takes a toll on you when, you know, people boo you and people, you know, speak negatively of you. And that's another point to be made of why that brotherhood is so important because you have those guys come back and they can help you reflect on different things of what it means to go through those things because surely they went through the same things as well they were losing games and they had poor performances and they had injuries and you know fans are quick to boo you know that's just the nature of you know being a fan of a sport you know um, I I do want to talk about the Purdue game that year because Leach is injured. He comes back and you guys reel off five wins in a row. And it looks like things are starting to come together. And that includes a game against Purdue. That is your first Purdue game at home because Mm -hmm. the year before was the weird game of playing them in the non-conference. What do you remember from playing? You talked about how you felt the weight of it when you played at Mackey, but now you're at home in front of your fans. You go for 10 points, eight rebounds, four assists, including just a really uh, exciting end to that game where you pull it out. Wilmot hits a three at the end to help win that game. You hit a big two near the end of the game. What do you remember about that game? And even in this season, that's not going the way anybody wants, we do love beating Purdue no matter what. And so what did that feel like? Um, It was always good to beat Purdue. I think that was like the rallying cry. You know, we don't lose to Purdue. That's, you know, that's, when when you go to certain schools, you you have a rivalry. It's usually you want to do well, but you always want to beat your rival. I think it was just a great. Um, we were just grateful that we got the win, and I think you know we wanted to make sure that we we won that Purdue game. And and like you said, the season wasn't going well. You know, we had a lot going on um, internally as well. But just to kind of get up for that game and help starting to put some some momentum back together was was a plus for us. I mean, that took you to five and one in the big 10 and it's like, Oh, okay. They're starting to figure it out, but Mm -hmm. then the wheels just come off completely. And, and the rest of the way is just an abject disaster going like two and seven, the rest of the way. It was tough, man. It, it, It got to a point where, and I don't, I don't really know if a lot of people know this, but 
it got to a point where Mike, I remember he and I had a conversation uh, in his office and he was just like, same thing you guys are saying, you know, we're relying on you. We're struggling. We don't have a lot of options and we, we don't have a lot of people who can create their own shot other than you. So right now you putting up 20 shots off of a double team is a better option than really what we have anywhere else. Wow. And so he told me, if you're not taking 20 shots a game, you're not doing your job. Wow. So when I heard this, I was already a scorer, you know, at heart, that was what I did. I, I had a good knack for that. But when he kind of told me that my whole thing was, I need to make sure I am getting shots. I'm getting looks because I can, because he was like, you can make difficult shots. You can make shots over a hand, other shots that we wouldn't want somebody taking, but we can live with you taking those. Even if you miss them, it's not like you're airballing just shooting off the side of the backboard, right? We can still get an offensive rebound or something like that. So it was a point where my shot volume started to go up, but I'm not, like I said, I'm still dealing with a back injury. I'm just getting it up, man. And I wasn't putting the ball on the floor a lot because I didn't feel comfortable getting to the rim and finishing. And if I fall the wrong way, all this was there. So I'm, I'm putting up shots sometimes off a double team. Sometimes it's a, it's a difficult shot, but I knew in order for us to be in the game, I'm having to score 20 plus points. Game. It, so that's what I went into with the mindset of doing that. It's also completely the opposite of what you talked about your high school coach mm-hmm. had taught you. Let the game mm-hmm. come to you, pick your spots. Yeah. You were that that was no longer the game plan. The game plan was <laughs> no. you gotta go take the game. It was really and not an option. Yeah. Option. That's that is a lot uh, just a ton of pressure to put on a, a young kid. The season ends 14 and 15 that year. We don't make the postseason. And now there is a lot of positive momentum for the recruiting class that's coming in, mm-hmm. albeit young, obviously, mm-hmm. and you're going into your junior year. But here come the Indiana kids. Here yeah. comes A.J. Ratliff. Here comes yeah. Robert Vaden. Here comes James Hardy. And here comes D.J. White from yes. the South, who we love D.J. We've had him on the show and absolutely love him. Uh, and also here comes Lewis Monroe and Marco Killingsworth, who had to sit out. And I see your smile goes ear to ear when you hear Marco Killingsworth. You couldn't play with them. They had to sit out a year. Um, we we talked to Marco. and We're going to ask you about some things that Marco said, which I'm sure <laughs> you can imagine. He says whatever's on his mind. He always um, does. <laughs> but, but it's a totally new team now. All these guys, they're all getting to play a lot. There's a lot of pressure on those kids coming from Indiana to be the saviors of the team. And the season just doesn't start great as you guys try to mesh. Uh, you start two and six. But before we get into the games, what do you remember about just this influx of talent? I mean, Vaden could play. DJ could play. Hardy was a freak athlete. Ratliff could play but never got it going at Indiana, just struggled. But what do you remember about that new group? Uh, to be honest, man, I remember I, I let them down as a, as a leader. Uh, really, they were guys who really looked up to me. I remember, I think I think I remember we had a photo shoot where I was like in center. It was Robert and and um, AJ on the side of me, and I can't remember if it was like a Big Ten magazine or, or Indiana magazine. But I remember during that photo shoot, we were having a conversation. They were like, you know, we just trying to do what you need us to do. You know, you you were that guy here. You know, we knew you were here. 
they knew that they were good. They were just looking for direction, uh, not from coaches, but from a player standpoint. And I was mentally struggling with an injury, with my stock dropping, with me not being able to perform at the level that I wanted to. I was not in the gym with them like I should have been. I wasn't leading mm -hmm. them like I should have been. I wasn't taking accountability for what we could do like, you know, somebody who um, is a solid leader, solid team builder. And I think they had a lot of talent. Um, now, now Marco and, you know, Lewis, you know, the, obviously I wasn't going to get a chance to play with them, but they wanted me to stay for my senior year to play with them. Marco, he, he we had a lot of conversations about that. He, he was trying to convince me to stay. At that point, I was just, I was over it. I was over Indiana basketball because it was just, a lot going on and a lot of people didn't see. Um, and I think. Can you, can a, you be a little more specific than yeah, do you with, just mean the I pressure? Think with, <clears throat> I think just what was happening with Mike, you know, yeah. he was receiving, you know, death threats and he was receiving, you know, all kind of crazy stuff going on um, that he, he spoke to, you know, he, he was the type of coach who was a father figure. So he was not afraid to really just speak to you candidly you know, tell you what he's going through, how he's feeling, um, have that relationship with you. So a lot of what was happening with him, you know, we had conversations about mm. a lot of what was going on with the team, um, you know, our struggles, can't find our rhythm, coaching staff changes. It was just a lot happening at that time, um, much more than just what was going on on the court. Okay. And I think with the talent that we had in those young guys, if – I would have been a, a stronger leader for them. We could have righted that ship because um, we, we had some pieces there. DJ was our first really, really solid uh, post guy mm -hmm. uh, in a long time. Um, you know, we had some athletes out there. Robert could play multiple positions. AJ, like you said, could play. And then we had myself, Roderick, some of the older guys still there. Uh, we had some pieces to, to make that puzzle right, but we lacked leadership from the players, and I think that fell on me. Well, now, what do you – wow. Your candor with mm -hmm. that, it's clearly something you've thought about before, if not spoken about. And I just wonder, you know, is that something as you're going along in your long and illustrious career as a pro, and and you, you recognize that, mm -hmm. and you're like, hmm, I was – look, I'll give myself a pass. I was a kid, but – I, I dropped the ball there and you grow from that. But is that something like, like you've talked to Robert and AJ about and sort of like how you kind of make peace with, look, I'm no stranger to disappointing my myself as a younger man. Like, yeah. Oh God, I lay awake at night and be like, what, what was I thinking? You know? And, and, and is that something to kind of you circle back around with those guys and be like, Hey, I'm sorry. Um <clears throat> I have not had the chance yet. Like I said, when I left, man, I was I was jaded with IU basketball. I felt, like I mentioned it before, I felt like we were all um, underappreciated and taken for granted how hard we actually tried to win those games, the work that we actually put in. I think people just saw IU basketball losing, losing, losing. And one of the big things was with Bobby, in, in that generation, there was a lot of homegrown guys, a lot of Indiana guys, a lot of guys in that region who were, you know, huge names. With Mike, 
he was really heavily recruiting in the South. So it was just a different feel of player who was there. And I think, um, you know, having us there, not a whole lot of connection to Indiana prior to coming with Mike messed with a lot of people's heads and uh, mine specifically. So when I left, it wasn't a culture to be had. So I was like, well, I'm just gone. Right. Uh, so there was, you know, that, that was it. Looking back, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that, you know, because, you know, I put in a lot of work with IU and made a lot of good connections. But since I left, um, maybe DJ, Marco, um, man, maybe a couple of other guys who I've come across professionally. Uh, I know, um, what's my guy's name? Earl. Earl uh, Calloway. Yep. He didn't play with us, but we played, you know, with each other in the same league for a long time over in Europe. We talked about these things, and but I hadn't had the chance to really connect with anybody who I was there with to kind of go through these things and, and kind of speak to them and make peace with, you know, some some challenging times that we had there. Well, look, I, I don't we don't need to belabor this season. I do want to point out, though, in a tough pre-conference where we were five and six, you had four games of 25 points or more, including 31 against Kentucky. Mm -hmm. This season also included you going to Mackey and winning a game at Purdue, I remember that. Um, which had to feel very good, uh, you know, really good. Um, it's also a season, you know, by the way, that game, you had 23 points, seven rebounds, four assists. Uh, we're sitting at six and five in the Big Ten, and you end up winning four of your last five games. You do start putting it together, finish 10 and six in conference, including an overtime win against Michigan State, where you went for 32 yeah. with five of eight threes. You you are ending your IU career on, on a on a high note as far as your personal play. Um go to the NIT that year, miss out on the NCAA, score 17 in a loss to Vanderbilt, and that ends your your career. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, as you've talked about, you were over it. I do have to ask you, because Marco brought this up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Marco says, this is Marco's perspective, that Mike ran you off, that Mike mm -hmm. didn't want you to play with Marco and Lewis and those guys because it, a little confusing, but I guess in Marco's mind, the his story is that he's got to get Marco his shots. He's mm -hmm. got to get these other guys. And with you there, there's no way that's going to happen. And also, I guess, because of the losing that had been done, he just wanted a, a clean slate. Is any of that true? Um, it was true. Mike and I, our relationship strained um, my last year. It, it was really strange just because um he wanted more out of me i wanted more out of myself as well uh but he wanted more out of me on the leadership side and like i said i was too wrapped up in my own what was going on with me you know to sure. to, to be that to embrace that um so our our relationship is sour toward the end to where i remember you know there was a comment made by mike you know i'll help him pack you know so he can go uh Oh. So from there, <clears throat> you, like you said, heard that secondhand from somebody. Uh, I think that was a comment he made, like in a, I don't know if it was in a interview or oh. he was talking to somebody. But I, I heard that more than once, um, you know, from more than one person. Uh, 
Did that just you know, kill you? Did that crush you? It was tough because he, he, like I said, he was everything to me when I came in. Yeah. And he was the reason why I did not leave after my freshman year. Why, when I had the opportunity to leave, because I was like midway through the season, I was one of the, you know, wooden, uh, you know, on the wooden list. Yeah. And me and Carmelo were like the only freshmen on the list. So my mind was, I'm going to jump if all goes well and I'm, you know, not injured or anything like that. That was where I was going. But he and I had a conversation and, you know, um, I was okay with staying because of him. Once it got to the, you know, later part of my last year, it was, like I said, really strange. I didn't want anything to do with it. And all the conversations Marco and I had about coming back, what we could do, how we could finally have like a real, real big guy down there taking a lot of pressure off of me. I was like, man, that's great, but you're about two years too late. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm, I would love to play with you, man, because in practice, man, it was, you know, he was, he was the problem. He was hard <laughs> to guard, man. He, he's a big fellow, lefty, soft touch. You know, he had a motor, uh, but. How much shit I'm did he talk in practice? How much too shit much. did he t- Too much. <laughs> too much. That's what made him Marco, man. That's what made him good because he could back that up. Cause he was, you know, he was big physical. And like I said, he had a soft touch as well, but he, he was going to let you know about it. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to play with him, man. But like I said, at that time, IU felt more of a negative than a positive experience. And I was just ready to go. Yeah. Having that's... talked to Coach Davis uh, a couple times on the show, really in depth, and then Marco very recently, it's interesting that, because even for Coach Davis, he was so young and inexperienced to be thrust into arguably the, the highest pressure situation a college basketball yeah. coach could be in. That and, and then Marco basically giving up in the NCAA tournament and being like, ah, I don't, I'm not going to try anymore. And, and learning and expressing regret from that. And, and Coach Davis as well, being very open about, I wish I'd done these things differently. It just seems like most of the time these college kids have that coach who's been doing it forever, has been through it, and can kind of see that. But with him just sort of dealing with his own shit and inexperience and, uh, let's say, an impossible situation to deal with, that was just a lot of people with great intentions but unable to to come together without, you know, the leadership maybe from players or coaches. Absolutely. <clears throat> I, think you, I think you can see it, especially, I don't know if you're bringing up Duke, but they were in a very similar situation where they had a legend. Now they're transitioning from that legend. But even though it's, the situation is different, they're still able to recruit top players. They're still able to have those older players who are not affiliated with the new coach and, and the new staff to still be around and still have that support. And he himself has that support from the Duke players yes. current and you know, past yes. and nobody at Indiana has had that since nobody has had that since Bob Knight, except since for Mike Bob Woodson, Knight. you know, <clears throat> exactly. Um, and yeah. Mike Woodson even has it on a smaller scale, yes. Um, and so, I think that's kind of why there's a lot of that. Like I'm saying, there was so much seeping in through for Mike that kind of filtered down to the team because I don't feel like he had a lot of support. Um, from past players, from from current. He had it from us, but we didn't know any better. 
he was all we really knew, uh, at least, you know, starting from my class on. Uh, but he didn't have that. And, and I think, like I said, keep bringing up the, the Duke example. You see what the support of players means for a coach coming in who is trying to replace a legend. He's having the space to find his way and make it still Duke basketball because he still can recruit because Duke is known to produce great players and have a great culture for their players. IU has fallen short on both of those fronts. So I think I that's think, why I think that's lost fair. so many coaches. Has so many so much overturn, so many staff and so many players. And there's IU players now who they played on teams where I have no affiliation to them. And I feel like they probably were just at a different school. Not even saying, you know, so that's yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. Let me ask this, and this is not to make you feel old because we're older than you, but it's been 18 years since Mm -hmm. you played at Indiana. Have you had a chance? to talk to Mike Davis at all recently? Did, did, did you ever get to address the strained relationship or make peace with that in any way over the years? Not recently. Uh, after, after I left, I think my, uh, I think right around the draft, he and I saw each other. I think we were in Chicago. I saw him and we spoke and it was brief. But we, we kind of addressed it there. Uh, that was the last time we spoke. But like I said, man, I, I love Mike, man. I, I know what it was because I was with him in those moments where it was a lot for him to handle. We had those conversations more than any other player that was on IU during my time there. And so I knew what he was going through. I was at his house a lot with his family, like little Antoine running around. He's amazing now what he's doing, man. And so that was for me i don't hold anything against mike i i know how hard it was for him um i just wish things would have panned out a lot different on the court because it affected you know our relationship off the court and that was kind of the genesis of everything of my whole story there was mike then to see that sour it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth yeah i i get it i think I it's it. It's a great reminder to us when Eric and I started this podcast, it was as fractured as it ever been within the program. Coach Woodson comes in. We're seeing some of those much older generations of night players returning to the fold. And we're like, Mm -hmm. Hey, we're one big happy family again. But I think this conversation is so important for fans to hear and to realize there is like several generations of lost Indiana players who even if Cody and Vic would come back to the program while Kareen was still there, but then Kareen's gone and then that's gone, that there's 20 plus years of players that that need to be welcomed back. And, and after such a long stretch of not feeling that, it can't be like, oh, yeah, well, the, we left the door unlocked. Come on in. We'll be happy to see you. I think there still needs right. to be Nobody's a Nobody's going to take you up on that because yeah. they've been left out for such a long time. No, it needs to be yeah, to specific that that yeah. and aggressive and consistent. Proactive. And, and I think to take this time to let you know that it's like we – love what you brought to Indiana University and with all the garbage and that that went along with your time there that mm-hmm. when we do get you back there you're going to realize there's so many people like us mm-hmm. who so enjoyed watching you play and appreciate everything you went through after this conversation have such a greater appreciation for what you went through and how difficult it is and that 
you will be welcomed with beyond open arms with warmth and gratitude. And I just think it's so sad it's taken this long, but I, I really hope uh, it won't take much longer. I'm hoping not. Like, like I said, when I, when I did AJ Guyton's um, podcast, I don't know if it was, if it's his podcast or if it was like a Hoosier uh, podcast, but we, we talked about, you know, what it could be like for us to put something together or, or, who is going to be that person that starts to facilitate, you know, getting these players back and getting this, you know, uh, basketball alumni kind of feeling the love again. I think that has to be somebody on staff or somebody, you know, who is working with the university and the capacity. Um, but we talked about that, you know, what that could look like if we wanted to be the people to do that because we've had so many really solid players come through. And like you said, they're just kind of out there without a program. And, and us as players, we hear when other programs have people coming back and how the culture of these other, you know, top programs, Indiana is supposed to be right there. Like, you know, Assembly Hall, when you talk about Assembly Hall, you know what Assembly Hall people are talking about, not the Illini, no way. Right. Assembly <laughs> Hall. So you know this. So we mean something to so many people. But we don't get a chance to, you know, express our gratitude or, or, you know, impart our wisdom on the current players or any of that in any capacity because it's just a fractured. Exactly. There you go. Well, like I said, August 17th to August 20th, interact with the team, interact with former players. We're going to do everything we can to get you there for that. We're not former players. We're not on the staff, but we, have lived and breathed Indiana basketball our entire lives. It's meaningful to us beyond mm -hmm. just a sport to root for. The players that gave their all are important to us, and and we want you to feel that love. You deserve it. You've earned it. Um, we've taken up a lot of your time. I oh, want to get you back on to talk about your international career, your professional career, so we'll do that, especially playing in Israel. <laughs> do you like falafel, by the way? I do, man. Israel was... Uh... It was a great place, man. I love playing there. I was uh, in Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's great. Great place. All right. But before we let you go, a couple silly questions about your time in Bloomington. Did you have a favorite pizza in Bloomington? I did not. Not a pizza guy? <laughs> I'm a pizza guy. Um, I don't remember eating a ton of pizza. I remember for our meals, we had like, I don't even know these restaurants are still around. It was a Fazoli's. It was... Yes. Um, <laughs> Some other like well, Indiana was really on the cutting edge of nutrition for high end athletes. <laughs> All you can eat breadsticks, baby. All it, you can it eat was. Steak, and steak and shake were the two yeah. things yeah. that we had. Yeah. Times have changed. Times have, it's amazing you were ever able to play when you're just eating fazolis and steak and shake. All the time. Yep. Yeah, this was our weekly um we had the weekly amount that we could go and order from and right. the team covered it. Yeah, man. What wow. was what was the class you dreaded the most? The class I dreaded the most? Oh, that's a good question, man. I had a, hmm, I had this class. It was a, like a interior design class. I can't remember for, for what reason I had this class, but it was <laughs> so boring. All we did, was we, we stared at, you know, hundreds of year old furnitures and, understood how the makeup of it was and how to pair it with this and that i thought it would be a, a really good class but it was it was just like a 
snooze fest, man. I wanted to sleep every time. I was, I, I just dreaded going there. So I think I ended up dropping that class and picking up. <laughs> I remember the. Do you remember that you could do pass fail on some classes? That I remember that I was always nervous to do that. I felt like I was failing by just doing a pass fail. But then there were a couple classes where I was like, I should have done pass fail for that one. Um, Bracy, when was the last time you were back in Bloomington? Two thousand and ooh man, two thousand six. Wow! So right after you left. Right after I left, uh, I think my rookie year we played the Pacers preseason, and then I think I came down. Um, and I saw some of the guys. That was the last time, man, I've been to Bloomington. Well, we got to fix that, man. Yeah. We have to fix that. Bracy. I really appreciate your candor, as Ward said before, your honesty. Look, we didn't know each other. I knew you as a fan. I knew you as a scorer. Uh-huh. And, and I'll be honest, I knew you as a guy that was there in really tough times for Indiana, and you were the guy, so you got the blame, right? Yeah. That's how it works <laughs> in sports. Yeah, man, that's but, true. We've learned this over and over again. We've done over 215 of these podcasts. Okay. And we've talked to, I mean, we've talked to everybody from Sharon Wilkerson to Calbert Chaney, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and everybody has a story that fans just don't know. Right. And, that's true. Yeah. and it changes when you know it. And I hope that as many fans listen to this as possible, because it just, you are such a humble um insightful thoughtful guy that gave your all to indiana when your body was not supporting you truthfully and when the school wasn't supporting you uh in the way that it should have and i feel bad for that because i'm a fan and we were part of that so i just i love that we've gotten to meet each other i love your contributions to indiana and i want to be part of the solution to help you realize that you are welcome back and we're going to get you back. If I have to come up to the Bay area and drag (laughs) your ass in August, we're going to get you to uh, Bloomington in August. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, And yeah. And thanks for taking the time and you'll see, you'll see when you get in Bloomington, how many people are just going to have a huge smile on their face to see you back in town. Awesome, man. I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It It was fun, man. I'm glad we made this work. Me too. Uh, now, some people may not recognize you because they may remember you from long hair, Bracy, when you played mm-hmm. in Italy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, not in Italy. Uh, was when it I played Italy? in Greece. Greece. Sorry, it was Greece. Long hair, Bracy. When did you get rid of the long hair and go with my style? Uh, this was... Uh, I might have been in... Not in Croatia. I think, I think right when I went to Israel um, is when I... I started shaving it's just easier right well yeah it is man not a lot of work (laughs) it's a lot of work it's a lot of work to look this bad (laughs) (laughs) bracy thanks so much for your time man thank you guys man you have a great one appreciate it that was a guest that was a guest it'd been a while since we had one of those yep i mean just another unbelievable example of behind the box score we don't know shit. We don't know shit, and we think we do. And it does make me, I mean, it does make me regret so much about, you know, things we say to each other or say to other people. or st- It does. It, there is so much more going on behind the scenes. I mean, this is a guy who could have shut it down, and he didn't. He wanted to play, and he gave it his all, and he was not supported. Those were not good teams. He didn't have 
five-star recruits joining him. It was on him. I mean, he's Mike Davis is telling him, you have to shoot 20 times a game. I don't care if you're double teamed. That's better for us. And yet fans, we're looking at it and go, why does this guy shoot so much? It's so selfish. No, it wasn't selfish. He was doing what his coach told him to do. Yeah, yeah. And and, and Marco was right. <laughs> Marco, Marco called it uh, as he sees it. And it just goes to show the work is not even close to being done because I think we were so infatuated with the whole night era coming back into the fold. Then it's so quickly to, to turn your back and oh well, you know, Jordy's back and you see the pictures of the guys who made it into the NBA, like Eric Gordon and stuff in the hallways. But it's like, nope, nope. There really hasn't been anybody there who is truly focused on reaching out to them. And, and we talked about this before Woody came back, but I think it just sort of drifted away with, let's say, this myth of the entire family being back together again. Well, the Knight family is back together again, and that's a great place to start. But now we got 20 years where we need to go through and make all those guys who came in work just as hard, tried their best under even more difficult circumstances to be like, this is my program too. Because if, if we can feel this connection to just random strangers on the street, neither we or them ever, ever had one practice for Indiana University basketball. We feel this bond just being fans and fanatics about it. You know, you get these players all into a room, into a, an arena. And I think, you know, they'll, they'll start to, to find that amongst themselves across yeah. the eras. And, and look, I want to make something clear because you and I were very vocal about Archie not caring about this stuff. Yeah. Okay. And I stand by it. He didn't. He did not see how that would help win basketball games. Okay. That was his mindset. I do not blame. I'm not putting the blame for this like at Woody's feet. I'm really not. This is a huge systemic problem that has festered for 20 years. And Bracey made such a good point. Bobby Knight had all of his players come back, right? Like all the ones that were in good standing. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to think about like, oh, I, I need to like, you know, it wasn't like Bobby Knight in 1997 was like, man, we've really got to reach out and keep the fan base or keep the, the alumni going. It just was organic. It happened. Yeah. When he left, it ended. It ended. And Mike Davis was swimming upstream to try to just stay above water. And he didn't have relationships. And we've said this, a lot of those guys screwed over Mike Davis. It wasn't his fault. You know, and they decided to leave the program in solidarity with Coach Knight. Yeah. So then you're six years later, Ward, six years later, and you bring in Kelvin Sampson, who doesn't give a shit about the history of Indiana or what Indiana meant. And now even more guys from the past are like, screw Indiana. He's there for two years. Now you're at eight years. Yeah. Right. Then Crean comes in, who I do think cared about the history of Indiana, but he's taking over a program that is a disaster. And it takes everything that he has to avoid potted plants being thrown at him to just try to field a team for the next year, let alone repair a fractured fan uh, alumni base. And he's there for nine years. And now you're 15 years removed, or I'm sorry, 17 years removed. Good math. It's 
Look, it's it's no one person's fault, except it does fall on the IU athletic administration to be dedicated to repairing this. Yes. It does fall on them to dedicate someone to strictly being IU basketball outreach. Absolutely. Honestly. Well, and, and invite them back and back. It shouldn't and, fall on us, but I right. want them back. I yeah. want them back. It's And it's not just optics. I think what Bracey articulated better than anybody else has before of it. it is – it is so important to the current players not to just see those guys and kind of have a oh a more big picture like oh it's nice i'm a part of this family it's so practical like you you have mentors coming into your your practices and games and whether it's something on the court or in life about being a ball player and what it takes to succeed and and make it sustainable it's it's so invaluable to the program and it currently like this will help you play better basketball and have guys who feel better about their place in this basketball program currently like right now those those results can be seen on the floor if you have that going on and we could see that when people talking about Moye or Whitman like somebody who has come through but the more you have coming through the more you have all the different players can find somebody who's really connects with them and can help guide them and then that only helps set them up for greater success for the rest of their lives and it's it's very practical and pragmatic if you want to have a better product on the court do this get these guys and also a lot of these guys of coach woodson's generation are they're like the grandparents age now of these younger guys but you know even bracy somewhere in the middle and you have guys through the samson crean era that can really come in and connect with these guys in a different way they're still out there playing a lot of those guys. i know i mean bracy was playing two years ago you yeah. know um Look, I think I've used this analogy before, but, you know, former presidents of the United States talk about, you know, like George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton built a really good relationship. George W. Bush and Barack Obama built a really good relationship when they are diametrically opposed on the political spectrum. But a huge part of why they did is because they're the only guys that have been there. Yeah. Right. Yep. There's only been like four dozen of them, you know, not even that have been there about 45 of them, right? 46. Are we on 46 now? I, think? I believe we're on 46. Yeah. No. Are I, we? Used to I used to have them all memorized. I know me too. I think we're, at, I think we're at 46, but okay. But being an IU basketball player living in that fishbowl, there's only a few hundred of them. And they're the only ones that can honestly speak to what it feels like to get a death threat or a bad interaction when the fans are expecting you to be perfect or what that pressure feels like or what it feels like when you know you're injured, but you're trying to play because the fans expect it and you want it for them. And there's only a few hundred of them and they can give real practical advice and guidance to the kids that are playing now that no one else can. No coach can, no fan can, well, no family member can, and, no friend can. And look, this is a random example, but you got this incredible high school player out of Texas named Bracey Wright who decided to go to IU. And you got Liam McNeely, like, wondering, oh, sh you know, should I? What? Like, what's it going to be like? And look, I think Bracey would be able to be like, look, 
you're coming into a much better situation. No, but your point is right. It's I a was. missed opportunity. It's yeah. a total missed opportunity. Uh, I just, I, I have a different perspective on Bracey as I've had on so many of the people that we've talked to. I loved his humility and accountability and even him owning that he let those Indiana kids down when he was a junior, like owning that and realizing that he made that mistake is um you know, we've heard that from from Will Sheehy, you know, we've heard yeah. that from other guys who it was their turn to lead and often with circumstances beyond their control, it was a lot more difficult maybe than oh when you have this incredible class of guys all coming through and leaving together and it's oh now it's on you that you know, it's it's something where when you get that whole backstory, you're so much less inclined to negatively judge them and you, and you understand and you and you, if you're being honest with yourself you're like would i or any other normal human being been any better especially at that age when they're all sorry kids kids and kids like bracy who every game is affecting what he thinks is going to be his livelihood yeah Right. I mean, it's yep. like it's not like us kids screwing up a paper in telecom class. When, right. When, when the light cue doesn't hit you on stage. during Correct. The... <laughs> I'm not thinking to myself, oh, no, I won't make it to Broadway now. <laughs> the Utah Shakespeare Festival won't call me. No, I won't. But but for Bracey, a bad game is my draft stock just got hurt. Yeah. Think about the pressure that that he's under. So, um Really fascinating. I really liked him. I like his whole demeanor. Um, and I really hope we get him back in August. That's Same. we're going to work on that. And, uh, and we'll have more announcements on that coming up, but it's going to be August 17th to the 20th fantasy camp, fan fest, golf outing, women's camp, uh, youth camp. It's going to be incredible, incredible weekend ward. As always follow us on Twitter at Hoosier hysterics for the hysterics. No E no I. But, but the, the sometimes, sometimes why? From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a screaming shout. I love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.